0: All right, I'm going to open us up in some prayer, and I just want to thank you for coming this morning. Uh, I know our Saturdays are, are busy. We got kids and sports and all kinds of stuff. I, I really appreciate you guys um, taking uh, the initiative to invest in your family and invest in your children. Uh, I've known uh, Dr. Jones now for uh, 10 years. Uh, since I got here, I was introduced to him, really about nine years. And uh, Dr. Jones has done uh, some stuff here for marriages for us, uh, but we thought this would be a a fun opportunity for him to come and share. His daughter's going to share a little bit, uh, just a short section from her perspective. Um, But here's the thing is I just want to encourage you with this, that uh, one of the things that we want to do as a church is continue to empower people, continue to equip our people um, with the tools necessary to grow in their relationship with the Lord, in their families. And so that's how we get to um, offer this opportunity for all of us uh, for free, right? And, uh, and I just would encourage you and say to you, because um, I've had some people say, well, do we need to pay for the food or pay for some of this? And I said, no, you've already paid for it. Uh, you give, you know, and continue to give. It gives us the opportunity to do things like this. Uh, So I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to introduce Dr. Jones and he's going to be with us till about, uh, we're looking uh, till about 1.30, 1.40 and then uh, at the very end, uh, and this may uh, freak some of you out, I probably shouldn't even tell you this, uh, but uh, we're going to invite our children in and uh, Dr. Jones is going to lead us in praying over our kids and for some that may be Uh, The first time you've ever done that, and it's okay. He's going to help us. He's going to walk us through this, Uh, but it's a great step uh, to to complete our time. Well, Lord, I pray that uh, this morning would be uh, insightful, full of wisdom, Lord, that as we open up our hearts and we open up our minds to what you're doing in our lives, Uh, God, that we would just be receptive, uh, that we would receive what um, Dr. Jones has for us, both uh, intellectually and spiritually. Uh, God, that this would be a defining moment in our homes, in our families, as as we as parents take uh, ownership and charge over the spiritual climate of our homes. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for Dr. Jones. I pray blessings over him and his wife and his daughter, Lord, as they come and they serve us in this way. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, without further ado, Dr. Mark Jones. Thank
1: you, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here with you. And I'll tell you, I want to commend you for coming out on a Saturday morning. And that's not easy to have children and get it all together and and be here and It shows a desire, and interest, maybe even for some of you a desperation to know more, to learn more, to improve your life, to be more effective in life, to be closer to the Lord, be more effective parents in every way. So I commend you for that. So yes, my wife Teresa and middle daughter Brittany, Are here with me and Brittany in a few moments when I'm talking about differences in personalities and behaviors in the children. uh, She's going to come up and talk to you about that so that you can hear from one of my daughter's perspective, who is now a mother as well, wife and a mother, and how she saw us, the way we raised her, taught her, prayed with her, trained her and then how that carries on to the next generation. And I think that'll be great insight for you as well. All right, you have your outline in front of you? Good. Let me give you a little background. Anybody not have one? All right. A quick background is uh, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've had my practice since 1992. Is that 25 years? I think so. The other day, we did some calculations over the years, and we came up with about 50,000 hours that I've counseled and helped people's lives. The reason I say that is the 50,000 hours basically covers more than one generation. And so I've had the opportunity to counsel with families and their children, and then later on... The sons and daughters, I would see how it turns out. And you have the opportunity when that happens to see how your advice turns out. And was it helpful? Was it not? How helpful was it? Make modifications and prove it. And so when I talk to you today, basically you're getting 25 years. i are going to save you a lot of research here. 25 years of experience and I pray that you would open up your heart and minds and receive. I've been married 36 years, going on 37. Teresa and I have been married for that long. We have three daughters and a son. And so with four children, if, you, if you're if you in the four-member club there, uh, you know that you stay, even with three and two, you stay busy, right? And you have to to. Be under really stress is a normal way of your life depending on the personalities of your children, your work schedule, your marriage, if you if you have personal wounds that you've not dealt with and they get pulled out and you act them out on each other, it creates stress. And some people don't deal with stress as well as others, and then some people deal with stress in some areas on subject matters better than others. And so we're going to bring all that out today, and then at the end, it's going to be great. Pray over your children, and I know the Lord will be with us. Look at your outline. Look at that ver- that first statement I make, if you would, please. Ecclesiastes 3.1, the Bible says, to everything there's a purpose. To everything, that means parenting, marriage, family, work, personalities, words, the clothes you have on, the chairs you're sitting in, the cars you drive. Everything, that means everything, has a purpose. And since that's true, it would make sense that if everything has a purpose, you're going to be more effective if you know the purpose of what you're doing. So, In in life, if you don't know the purpose, and even in a job description, if you don't know your purpose, meaning your job description for where you work, or if you operate a business, then most likely you're not going to function within that purpose, and you'll get outside of the purpose. And so I thought it's important as parents to know what is your purpose, and to be thinking in terms of what is my purpose as a parent. Well... One of your main purposes is mentioned in Proverbs 22.6 and how true it is. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he, was old, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now the Amplified in that verse says train up a child in the way they should go according to their particular gift or bent. That's actually the correct Hebrew. So when you train, the scripture is saying, train them up with knowledge about their particular personality and their giftings, their particular, your children's particular giftings and personality type. When you look up the word bent in the Hebrew, it means personality. So what is your purpose as a parent? Train, train up a child in the way they should go according to their particular gift or bent, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. So an example of that would be, you might have a personality in a child who's very strong-willed. And so when you have a strong-willed child, you can't take everything that they say and do as rebellion necessarily, and you won't... Get that confused if you understand the personality of your child. Then you may have another child who's passive, compliant, cooperative. And what you have to do as a parent, not you have to make sure that you don't, in front of them, compare each other. I wish you were like this one. What does that say to this one? What does that say to the other one, right? You know what the sibling rivalry is going to do when you walk away Depending on their age, they'll use that against each other, right? All right. <clears throat> and also, it's not good training to do that. And here's why. <clears throat> Zero to 12 years old, and I, I think my <clears throat> computer or something failed yesterday when we transferred this information. So I don't think what I'm about to tell you is on your outline, so you might want to take notes. This is important. <clears throat> Zero to seven years old are the, develop, are the development years, but the DNA is already set of the personality type of your child. Zero to seven, first seven years, personality. The DNA is already set genetically, but it finishes out in the first seven years. And then zero to 12 are the development years of your child's self-worth. So 12 years. You have 12 years, think about how powerful that statement is, to develop their self-worth. What's the definition of self-worth? The definition of self-worth is how they value themselves, how they value others, and how they perceive they're being valued by others and their care- parents or caretakers, whoever's raising them. So self-worth. So whatever happens to them during the first 12 years constitutes liquid ingredients like pouring concrete into a frame of a patio. The liquid ingredients of their self-worth, good or bad. And if they're not trained, what will happen? They'll be underdeveloped in their self-worth. And how does that manifest itself in adulthood, teenage years and adulthood? It manifests itself with self-worth if they have underdevelopment or wounds, abuse or wounds. During those years, it'll manifest itself later on in the form of them not feeling worthy. You, Some of you have had that theme running around and playing inside of your head and your emotions, right? Not worthy, not good enough. So that has to do with your self-worth. So what that is, is during that first 12 years, either you weren't trained in certain areas of your value or you had wounds during that time that impacted you and because your comprehension wasn't developed totally zero to 12 years old, then emotionally you just took it in and then it started sending messages to you throughout your life. Make sense what I just said? Self-worth. That's how self-worth manifests itself. Unworthy, not good enough themes. All right. Not, uh, and also rejected those kind of messages. All right. Now, 12 to 20 are the development years of a child's self-image. Those are the developmental years of a child. 12 to 20, their self-image is defined similarly to self-worth. Self-image is how you see yourself or image yourself, how you think others view you, and how you see others. All right. Now, a little quick note. you This word is thrown around a lot, you know, just kind of as a slang word, and that word is narcissism. And true personality Disorder, narcissism, actually is as an overcompensation. It's an overcompensation for both self-worth and self-image. Self-worth, a, a true narcissist, has a deep insecurity, and then they were wounded in their self-image, so they have to overcompensate with their image. So they never can look bad and can't look bad at any cost. So they will habitually lie. They'll rewrite stories. They'll get people on their sides. And they'll rage or they'll go victim if they look bad. And then they'll eventually blame it on somebody else because they can't allow themselves to ever look bad or to be wrong. Now, you don't have to have the personality disorder to have personality traits of narcissism. The reason I'm mentioning that is I want you to think about that and evaluate your own life if you move in that direction and have propensities and have a lot of deep prayer over those behaviors and prune them out of your life because they're not healthy. They're not good for a relationship, and they will preoccupy your mind, and you will not operate in your God-given giftings and maximize your potential if you're preoccupied with how you look as far as not how you look this way necessarily It's, I can't let anyone see, I have to put a guard up, but I can't let anybody know I have this guard up because that would make me look bad. And this trait preoccupies you and it also breeds and feeds over into pride and arrogance. You want to prune that out. It, It breeds over into pride And arrogance, and that's one of the things that got Satan kicked out of heaven, so we know God's probably not fond of that. Right? Pride comes before a fall. Stubbornness is as the sin of witchcraft. All right, excellent. Now, 0 to to 7, personality. 0 to 12, self-worth. 12 to 20, self-image. During those first 20 years, the development of your child happens. Well, that's an awesome responsibility as a parent, right? Whatever you put inside of them or whatever you don't is what they deal with later on. Now, yes, as an adult, just like some of you have, you have woundedness, self-worth woundedness, self-image woundedness, and I can tell you whenever you get married and somebody's deep in your heart and your children are important to you, whatever is in you unresolved deep in the deep part of your heart gets pulled out by a relationship that's deep in your heart. Where you might be okay at work because it's not that personal. But whenever you're talking about your spouse and your children, every insecurity, every weakness in your nervous system gets challenged and pulled out, does it not? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a um, it, will, it will take people, to places that they thought they were strong and they're not. Now, this is important while I'm here. So if you have, as a parent, woundedness on the inside of you, and you know you're good when you're in this scenario, this scenario, but in this scenario, you falter, you destabilize, you rage, something happens to you, you get overwhelmed, where you can't handle it And you want to give up. Don't give up, just reboot, recover and reboot. And you have to do a lot of praying, right? All right, whenever you know that parenting your children pulls out your wounds, then I want you to make note of those wounds and get them ministered to. It's a perfect opportunity to see where you yourself as a parent are underdeveloped. Also, you can parent correctly by not interpreting everything your children do as rebellion against you or being afraid they're going to fail or how they're acting is a representation of you. In a way it is, but you can't take that too personal or your parenting will go more toward image rather than developing their self-worth, self-image. All right, real good. Go back to the outline. Train up a child in the way they should go according to their particular gift or bent, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. The word train, Hebrew, means to dedicate, to throttle, make narrow, or discipline instruction to initiate, create an appetite. All right, train them. Whatever you do does train them, good or bad. Whatever you do, whatever you say, does train them. Now, let me say this to you. If you have a lot of yelling, screaming, cussing, conflict in your home between each other as parents, I would advise you to totally cut that out. Now, to excuse that, some parents will say, well, that's okay because when we make up, that teaches children to forgive. Inaccurate. Inaccurate. Because that conflict puts stress on the child's nervous system furthermore it trains them and the more you do it in front of them the more it trains them remember everything you're doing trains them I'm not teaching you to be perfectionistic and OCD I'm teaching you to be aware of what you do with your children do your very best to stop the conflict the conflict the rage fighting name calling Take that totally out of your behavior. It trains your children. What do you think is going to happen? It happened to some of you. Later on, when you get in the same setting, that's actually your reference point, your training reference point. When you take a survey, so to speak, of how you're supposed to act as a parent, you access, your brain accesses its training. And if that's your reference point from your mother and father, you'll start doing the same unless you have purposely subjected yourself to different kind of training. Have a question? you have any question there on that point so far? How that gets into your children, they'll do the same thing. All right, that's a phenomenon called trauma bonding, incidentally. And I have some CDs back here on seminars I've taught on these complex uh, psychological principles, spiritual principles as well, and I won't have time to teach all of those today, but when I mention them, make note of that because it's an important training. Yes, sir. So if you have slightly older children that are in that 12 years and up, and there's been some things that shouldn't have been happening, they're already trained or they're, Are they reversible, can you? You have to purposefully, intentionally go back in and retrain it. Yes. So for example, molestations, um, abuse, Um, when they get older to comprehend it more and how do you know when they're older to comprehend it more when they're talking about it don't ignore it don't avoid it you go in and retrain it and so let's say that that zero to twelve they had trauma or pain or duress in the home or underdevelopedness they weren't trained they were just told what to do and not do, and that's it, no explanation, no training. Well, what, what happens to a child? They're, they don't have the tools to actually analyze and figure out how to problem solve. So if you as a parent, you know, your style is, no, don't ask me any questions, don't do that, don't say that, don't, 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 and you don't train them what to say, how to think, what to do, sit down with them, talk to them. What happens? They have a gap in their learning, in their development, and they have a problem uh, problem problem solving. And you know what the end result of that is? They'll get by themselves one day, starting to drive even, and they can't problem solve because all they were told or mostly told to do is don't. So as they're going down the way and something, for example, You know, happens to their car. They can't problem solve. They don't know what to do. They can't analyze a situation or a scenario. So it's totally important to train your children. Inform them. It takes longer. It takes longer. But I'll tell you, as a parent, you will be very grateful if you sit down and train and talk to your children and explain to them why. They may not agree with you, But that's okay. Take time to explain to them because you're training them. Very, very key, very crucial. And then in adulthood, to further answer your question, if somebody has wounds, unresolved issues, areas of their life that are underdeveloped, as you get older, you purposely go to someone else who can help you with that and get that ministered to, figured out, Bring it out on the table The Bible says Confess your faults Sins, mistakes, wounds One to another For what purpose? So you may be shamed? No So you may be healed So there are times That it's important And it's crucial To sit down And get something out of you Rather than shoving it back Down in there Into the closet again Get it out Talk to someone about it Who can minister to it Pray with it And then Inform you or reprogram that part of your thinking that wasn't developed All right The way we grew up was mother and father divorced when I was five years old I'm 61 And I can still remember it's in my memory the pain is not there because I specifically Took time to get that out of me Mother and daughter, father divorced, five years old. I'm 61. I remember when dad drove off that night. I'm holding my mother's hand here, my brother on the right side. And I remember having these thoughts. What are we going to do now? Fears, insecurities, uncertainties. Because I couldn't comprehend this. Dad is leaving. And then children personalize things. Like I would say to myself, I, uh, maybe I didn't obey him enough. Maybe I didn't say I love you enough. Maybe I wasn't good enough. You have to start having those thoughts. You see, children personalize things. And so as he left, uh, we were in the suburbs of Houston, Texas. He moved to San Antonio, remarried, took on another family pretty immediately, pretty quickly. And so me and my brother and mother were in the suburbs of Houston. We had no place to live. We just started attending an independent church back then, and that that was rare to have a non-denominational church back then. And we were in the suburbs of Houston, and so 1960. And all my mother could do was sing and play the keyboards. Now, in East Texas in 1960, if that's all you can do, you're not going to have much income. We just started going to the church. The pastor had compassion for us. We had no place to live and no income. So the pastor had a storage building in the back of his church boxes and the old lawnmowers. You know the old lawnmowers with the blades that spun? You know, that's what, those kind of things. And so we, uh, he moved everything out and we lived in a storage building for two years. We had oatmeal every morning. It filled our stomach and mom could afford a nickel for a pail of oatmeal. And that's what we ate. And, you know, we eat oatmeal to this day and our grandchildren love oatmeal to this day. You know how when you have a hard time and your brain associates that hard time with, like, a certain food, and then you hate the food later. You can't eat it. It went the other way for us because it tastes so good. <laughs> now we still like oatmeal, so it went the other direction, thank the Lord, for us. All right. Then, uh, this is where my mother got my brother and I on the platform, that East Texas Country Church, wood floors and a gas heater over in the corner. That's where it used to be, fans, you know for summertime and got us on that platform. That's when we started singing, taught us how to sing, taught us how to harmonize. And the pastor gave her a part-time assistant choir director job, part-time assistant, man. He just made something up you know? <laughs> and we started singing. We were insecure. We were, you know, uncomfortable on that platform. We just kept pushing through it. Why? It gave us purpose. Get your children involved in your church. They need the community. They need the prayer. They need that friendship. They need that worship. Because in this life, once you put them in school, especially in a non-Christian school, they'll start hearing other messages five, six, seven, eight hours a day, right? And it'll infiltrate their mind. And leads me to my next point, then I'll go back to my outline. Teresa and I have said scripture and prayed with three daughters and a son twice a day, every day of their life until they went to college. Morning and night. And we had our system set up where we, we knew who was doing what. And I took them to school in the morning on the way to either school or office. Teresa picked them up. We would pray with them before they would go to bed and say scripture. Here's why I say, I emphasize, add scripture. And I, I'll cover this more detail in a minute in the outline. You add scripture because the Bible says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How do you hide the word of God in your child's heart? Repetition. Repetition. Don't use the Bible for punishment. If you do that again, I'm going to make you read the Bible. Yeah, try to refrain from that. That's... <laughs> I'm going to make you write 30 Bible verses the next time you hit your you know, brother, son. All right. So when you put the Scripture in your children, when it says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Hidden means put it in there deep. You put it in their deep by consistency, repetition. And if you're doing it together with them, they like it, it's fun, and it's bonding with you as a parent. Now let me tell you, that doesn't take long. You can do that in five minutes. Five minutes in the morning, two minutes in the morning, five minutes at night. Worst case scenario. Minimum, time-wise, worst case. And when you do that, Do the math. You just write you a little note. This is the way my brain worked back then. If you said five scriptures and had your child repeat it, and then you said a prayer around that, if you spent two minutes in the morning, two at night, five scriptures in the morning, five at night, 10 scriptures a day times 365 days times 18 years, How many eternal seeds of the Word of God have you put into your child and done your spiritual job? And you will reap the blessing or the consequences from it, I can tell you that. Because putting the Scripture in them will speak to them later. And it will become their moral compass. They'll be out away from you one day. They'll start to do something or get tempted Or some friend will say, let's do this. And if you've put about, you know, 20,000 scriptures in their mind and heart, it'll speak to them. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And then in the outline, I've given you that verse and another verse that talks about the word of God will speak to them. It's an important thing. It's so easy. You know, you waste two minutes in the morning and two minutes at night. Every day of your life. So set up a structure where in the car on the way to school or if you homeschool, do it first thing. Set up a structure where you have them repeat scriptures after you. It seems that's not ever vain repetition when you're quoting scripture together with your children. The Bible says it's incorruptible seed and it will not return void. It shall accomplish in the thing it was sent to do. All right, those are important. Factors. Train, train, train. Do not name call. Teresa and I decided six months into dating when we realized our relationship was serious. We had several talks about this, that we would never threaten, divorce, never threaten in any way, and never name call, ever. Because we knew somehow, well, it was probably because of the, the horror that we both grew up in, Uh, first 12 years of our life, we decided we're never going to do that. We don't want to take that into this generation. We're not going to do it. We prayed over it and decided, and I'm going to tell you, we've been married, like I said, 36, almost going on 37 years, and we never have done that. We never have threatened or called each other a name. I'm going to tell you, it makes it a whole lot easier when you never let a name-calling or a cuss word at your at your spouse, you never let it out of your mouth, then you don't have to come back and try to take it back or apologize. If it's not there, if it never was spoken, I'll tell you, you can stay healed a lot better in your relationship. So if you know that something comes up out of you, a rage, a hurt, whatever it might be, and out it comes, I want you to work on that. I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you to work on that. You do not want to train your children that way. They'll do the same thing. I, we were at with our grandchildren a couple of years ago at this playhouse thing, and there was this boy who was three years old, maybe four, in playing in those little plastic balls. I want to tell you, in the five minutes I stood there, he probably used the F word about 20 times at everything. And I said, that is, that training, he, you know, a father, mother, or both are putting those words in his mind. He's not emotionally mature to even know what he's doing. And later on, he's going to have a real problem. And that was done to some of you. Prune that out of your life. It's not a productive way to express yourself. To cuss someone out that you say you love. Just totally remove it out of your, out of your vocabulary and out of your heart. Because it will train your children in ways that you don't want to train them. Right, I'm not legalistically teaching you there that you can't say certain words. What I'm telling you is don't vent on each other. And that your relationship and your children will be much better. All right, another question so far. Yes, sir? What verse was it when you repeated um, like thy word? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's over in... It's one, two... it's in the page that says number nine line item nine put scripture in your children psalms one nineteen eleven, right there in your outline thy word have i hidden in my heart that i might not sin against thee line item nine All right, real good. I think in 20 minutes we're going to have a break. Let me push forward here. It's important information. Train up a child. That's your purpose. How do you train? Verbal instruction. I was saying, instruct your children. Verbal instruction is important. I'll tell you what, I did so much verbal instruction, I I think Brittany and my children would be begging me not to talk to them anymore. Just... Just give me some pain, Dad. Don't give me one more talk. Just, I'd rather have pain and let's get it over with, right? Don't tell me one more time you're going to think about what you're going to do about what I just did. (laughs) Just give me some pain. All right. So you want to talk to them about the way they think, about the way they act. And then notice in the scripture, train them up in the way they should, emphasize the word should. Emphasize shoulds and not just should nots, meaning what that means is don't just say, don't say this, don't do that, stay away from that. You add to it the shoulds. Here's what I want you to say, here's how I want you to think, here's what I want you to do instead of that. That's training. Because remember, it's a, it's a false assumption that if you don't add to the shoulds and you just emphasize or mostly emphasize the should-nots, that they're going to come up with in their own mind the replacement of what you don't want them to do. They're going to miss the mark if you don't tell them. They're not going to figure it out as children what to do if all you say is don't do this. That makes sense what I just said. All right, good. Train them up. Proverbs 3, 7. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, isn't it fascinating that you can talk to your children later on, not lecture them, but ask them questions and then sit silently and listen to what they say? It gets really fascinating. You're going to be surprised at the things they believe and how they think about certain things. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But the fact is, you were unaware of it. So remember, always lecturing your children means that you're not listening to what they believe and what you have taught them. So listen to your children when you talk. See how they think. Have talks with them. And remember, this doesn't have to be our talks. It can be repetitive, small talks over time, short. And you'll find out the way they think. All right, role modeling is the next way that you train. How you live, how you talk, role model. So the fact of the matter is, whether we like it or not, what they see you doing and how they see you living and how you talk and how you pray and how you worship, or if you don't, you're role modeling, and that's a form of training. That is a form of training. And I know that when we were in church and our children were younger, we would encourage them in church to teach them how to just raise your hands, sweetheart, and just praise the Lord. It's okay. you know. And they'll look around like, well, I'm embarrassed. Raise your hand. It's okay. And just praise the Lord. And what it does is teach them just to have an open, comfortable, natural worship and a communication with the Lord. It's not forcing them to. Grab their hand. You raise your hand up, I'm going to punish you when you get home. It's not that. They'll associate that with something bad, right? And then you role model. You pray, and they'll pray. You worship, and they'll worship. Role modeling is essential, and that takes me back to if you have wounds in your life that makes you uncomfortable, or you have a lack of training where you're uncomfortable with praying with your children, then Let's overcome it. You want to train your children to be comfortable in it. Even if you weren't trained by your mother and father to have a comfort and a confidence around praying and saying scripture out loud, then train your children to have that confidence to do that. Just because you're uncomfortable in it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with what you're doing. Discomfort in praying just means you weren't trained. So I want to encourage you to overcome that and begin on a regular basis to say a scripture with and pray with your children on a daily basis. It will make a huge difference in their life. Correction, correction is a form of training. Now correction is not necessarily punishment and there are various forms of punishment. Correction is intervene, Stop them in what they're saying or doing and say, don't do this. Like I said a minute ago, and here's what I want you to do or say instead. Now, here's an important piece I'm going to talk about right here. Just get it out of your mind. Just totally get it out of your mind that you're not going to have to repeat yourself. (laughs) Just totally get that out of your mind. Have you ever said, how many times do I have to tell you? Well, if they could answer, you know, and they wouldn't good trouble, they'd say, you're probably going to have to tell me that about a thousand more times, dad or mom. <laughs> Get it out of your mind. You're not going to have to repeat yourself. That's training. And have you ever been involved in any kind of sports or voice or swimming or anything you've had to train? Theater, Anything. Do you think you're going to do it one, two, or three times? you think the coach is going to say, I'm only going to tell you one time, and I'm not going to talk to you about this anymore? Wouldn't that be silly? That wouldn't work, because they know that's not how training works. There has to be repetition. There has to be verbal instruction. What does a coach do whenever they're teaching you? You saw, I played football and ran track. So what does a coach do if they want you, if you're a cornerback, which I was, and The receiver steps out in front of you. The coach is not just going to say, I'm going to tell you one time how to look at the positioning of their feet, their body. I'm going to only tell you one time of how you get set and ready, depending on your defense. I'm going to tell you one time, and then I'm going to expect you to do it right. How many times do I have to tell you that, Jones? They wouldn't do that. What do they do? They come over there. They show you. They watch you. Then you do it. And they come back and say, okay, Don't position yourself that way because if they do an out, you know, you're gonna they're gonna get behind. They'll give you instruction over, over, and over. They'll even do that during the game. Now, some of them go crazy, you know, during the game, but still they're telling you. So, correction, repetition. You will have to repeat yourself. Just accept it. Just accept it. Just accept it and repeat yourself over and over. You're instructing, you're correcting. And remember in correction, add the shoulds when you say don't do something, add the shoulds. Physically show how. I just gave you the sports illustrated version of it there. Physically show them how. So if they're not doing something you ask them to do, physically take them by the hand, walk them over there rather than yelling across the room. I said, you know, instead of going wild. Just walk over. Eventually, I'm going to tell you what I'm telling you here takes less time. That part does take, rather than, than just yelling it across the room and they're not doing it anyway. Walk over, take them to what you want them to do physically. Have them look at it and give them instruction, depending on how older children are. And even when they're older, teenage years, you can do the same thing. You come up and you say, all right, uh, let's come over here and talk about this. You know, you can do it nicely. You don't have to be, uh, you know, a tyrant. Talk to them. Train them. It's easier when you start earlier, I can tell you that. Talk to them about what you want. Remind them. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to come back and check on that in a few minutes. All right. Physically show them how. Repetition. Repetition is important. Repetition actually is more important than volume. You can spend like 30 minutes with them, and then not talk to them anymore for a while, that doesn't get inside of them and reprogram their minds. Repetition does. Consistency, repetition, and structure is important as well. So when I would pray with the children, I would do it on the way. I knew we couldn't do it really. It wasn't efficient while we were getting ready in the morning. I mean, things are flying, you know, and you're trying to... Oh, my word, you know, school starts. And and so we would wait till we got in the car. And once we got in the car, seatbelts on, then I would say, Okay, it's time to pray. Repeat after me. And then they would say Bible verses. And I want to tell you, it was fascinating to me how quick they learned Bible verses just doing what I was instructing you to do, advising you. If you just said it over and over and had them repeat after you every morning, Before you know it, they'll know 20 Bible verses. What will happen is you'll say, repeat after me, and they'll start quoting the verse before you ever get it out of your mouth. You know you're succeeding then. All right, repetition. And then the shoulds and the should-nots. I talked to you about that. Add the shoulds, not just the should-nots. That makes sense. And if you have a question about that piece, let me know. All right, punishment. Number two, punishment. Punishment, uh, you don't always use corporal punishment. That's the technical name for it. Or spanking for everything. A Spanking for everything. Now, spanking for everything does associate their brain with pain. Like if they look at that and they just think, oh, I don't I want pain with that. But I can tell you with strong-willed children, that almost doesn't doesn't affect them. I mean, you spank them and go crazy, and then they're smiling. Like, they kind of like that when you lost control of yourself. Yeah. Because they're thinking, "I nah, just endure the pain. It'll be over with in a minute, and you can do it again. <laughs> That's right. So I know that we did, we, it, we experienced that and I'll talk, and then Brittany's going to talk to you after our break. She's gonna come up and talk to you, but I'll tell you a piece of this. So when Brittany was in elementary school, um, she liked to assault people, not <laughs> not, not, a, not bullying, not that, but adults, like we'd have men come into our house and without warning she'd just walk up and punch them in the stomach as hard as she could. <laughs> So we had to start watching her really close, in the malls. You know, don't hit that stranger right there, please. So she would like to assault people, and so we were thinking, do we have a you know an angry ch- child here? I mean, you know, does she need to go to deliverance or something? What do we need to do here? And so then, as she got a little older, uh, if we would buy her like a new blouse. She would be happy. We'd leave the room, come back, and she would have it cut up into four different pieces laid out on the floor. And we thought, what is this? What are we gonna, you know? And so what we realized is that in her mind, she actually saw in patterns and uh, in in a design type way. And so what she was doing is she didn't like the design of that blouse or that shirt. So she would cut it up, put it on the floor, put it back together the way she wanted it, more like a design, artistic thing. And so I'm, I'm telling you that so that you can pay attention to your own children. If you see mannerisms, it might be a gifting. And you think, what is assault? How is that a gifting? You know? <laughs> like they're gifted at assaulting people. <clears throat> well, so we thought we're gonna have to funnel this the right way in some way. So Theresa and I had long talks and prayer about that, and said we're going to put her in martial arts and let her assault people legally there. Right? <laughs> and so we did that, and she did that for a number of years. And there's an organization called the Professional Karate Institute. And they had over, over the at the time she got into that organization, they had six thousand black belt graduates, and she was the first female black belt graduate in that organization she fought internationally uh full contact karate with girls and guys and when she took her um when she went to her black belt ceremony she had a broken nose she just taped it over (laughs) broken ribs uh, just taped it and went out went out for uh i forgot what we used to call it it was called something you know and she went out while the instructors watched and sparred. And I think it was with a, one, of the ma- one, of the, one of the male uh, students in the school. And so she was good at it. She liked it. And that way we got to funnel that. She won a lot of medals and a lot of awards doing that. But then after she got out of that, we realized we've got to get her in something else. So my wife, thank the Lord, she came up with, let's put her in wrestling, high school wrestling. So she went to Reagan High School at the time, and we put her in wrestling. And, and she, that was another legal way to assault and bleed. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, those were intense, that karate competition, and, and the wrestling was some intense stuff. I mean, Teresa and I were over there. After she got through wrestling, we were all tired, all <laughs> worn out, just watching it. And so um, she was the first female in Reagan High School's history to, went to win the gold medal regional championship at Blossom Athletic Center. <clears throat> and that day she won. She had a pulled groin muscle. She just wrapped it out. A, a swollen, sprained ankle, and a, and a sprained wrist, and still went out, went out there and won the gold medal regional championship. Then she scholarshiped college to uh, wrestle in college. And the first year, freshman year, their team won the national championship. And in women's wrestling NCAA and NAIA, you know, that's, it's all the same. And so that their team won, and then she won the uh, Women's National Championship as a freshman in wrestling. And let me tell you, when we realized that she was going to get in that, we hired the best trainers because we said, if you're going to get in this sport, you're going to have to be good and you're going to have to be in shape. And so she power-lifted, and her coach, she had two coaches. one of, They were ex-wrestlers, martial arts, and One of them was the Texas powerlifting champion. The female was the uh, United States powerlifting champion in the same weight category Brittany was, uh, 120, 124, is that what it was? 140. 148. 148 weight pound category. And so we got them, the Lord led us to them, and so they trained Brittany to be the best. Well... After all of those years, uh, you know, you try to train and raise and pray with that kind of personality type. You have to stay with it and be consistent. And you don't give up. And you keep yourself spiritually renewed with the Lord. You learn everything you can about being a better, more efficient parent. But I can tell you this before we take a break. She'll tell you this in a moment, more about it. And I want you to hear from her perspective now that she is also a mother and a wife. The most important thing that Teresa and I decided to do with all of our children is we have to put the word of God in them every day. We have to pray with them every day because that is going to be their moral and spiritual compass one day when we're not with them. And it is, if I could emphasize with you parents, one thing, that would be it. The fact of the matter is, if you failed pathetically, miserably in every other way, if you did, you're not going to, but if you did, but you put the scripture in them every day by having to repeat it and pray with them, put the word of God in them, you would succeed. You know why? Because your house rules, listen to me closely, your house rules that you fight with your children over a lot or your parents used to fight with you, have arguments and conflict over house rules, will not speak to them spiritually or morally and help them serve Christ and make wise decisions later on. House rules will not do that. Let that soak in. Scripture and prayer and instruction in the Lord will do that. So if you want to emphasize one thing, if you said, Mark, what's one thing I can hone in on that will be the salvation for my children all their life? I can tell you the answer, looking back on our lives, the answer is... Put scripture and prayer and the word of God in them. Bring them to church. Let them be with other children, other teenagers, worshiping the Lord, listening to music, praying. And that will be their spiritual and moral compass all the days of their life. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. All right, 10 30, it's 10.30. All right, think about any questions you have during this 15 minute break, 15, 15 minute break. Let's stay on that because we have a lot to cover in our time. I'll see you in 15 minutes. God bless. All right, let's continue. All right, on the punishment part of training, Line item number two. Punishment involves uh, either a physical spank, corporal punishment, and we had certain regulations where a spank or a a corporal punishment um, was controlled. You don't do it out of anger. You don't do it when you're angry. So that it could be something that's purposeful, intentional, controlled, and you can have yourself under control as well. Also, the corporal punishment um, was not used for everything. Basically, we use corporal punishment for physical, for physical attacks. Physical equals physical punishment, etc. And I'm going to bring Brittany up in a minute. She's going to talk to you more about that because she has three children, a grandchildren, and uh, two daughters and a son. And uh, we're going to have to you know with her son do the same thing i don't know maybe the youngest daughter too she's pretty aggressive but <laughs> the son <laughs> the son um uh, you know got into one or two fights at school and and uh so Brittany had him call me on the phone the other night we were praying over the phone about it and um and when we when when i said now joe why why did you do that and uh Brittany said, go ahead and tell him, Joe. And Joe reluctantly said, I liked it, Paul. I, I thought, all right, we know where to funnel that right down. A, we, we know what to do with that. We've got to give him a give him way to legally do that. You know, went to the next generation, right? And if you put him in some type of thing like that, What it does is it doesn't make them worse and less disciplined, it actually makes them more disciplined, where they know they don't attack, assault people, um, and it's only to be used under certain circumstances, and that gets trained into them, and then they also get to release that into a controlled setting, you know, in the martial arts wrestling world, so it actually teaches them to be more disciplined, not less, if you have a child that is uh, similar, then that would be a concern. All right. So then, emotional punishment is when the parent screams at, cusses at, threatens, shows offense uh, with with lashing out, without training, without stru- instruction, and without correction. So, in punishment, the parent must also make sure they do not act out their own personal problems on their children. So punishment is not for you to vent. Punishment is to correct, it's a form of correction, a behavior in them. And remember what I taught you, you're going to have to repeat yourself, just accept it. If you accept it, you won't struggle with it as much. You just say, okay, I'm going to got to do it, and I'll do it. And also, I can tell you this, they, it may not seem like some of your children are listening, but later on, to the good things you're saying, they're going to listen to the bad things, because they'll tell you about that. Well, you do that, Dad and Mom. You say that, right? But it may not be... It may not be apparent to you that they're listening, but later on they will be repeating back to you principles that you didn't even know they heard and scripture you didn't even know they listened to. It will happen. All right, fear-based controls. Uh, Parents sometimes uh, manipulate, intimidate, micromanage, isolate uh, their children. And so what you want to do is train instead. Train them instead. Don't tell them they're stupid. Don't ask them what's wrong with them. Refrain from those type of attacks. Because mainly that's your personal problems and your impatience. Maybe you thought you were patient until you had children. Then you realize you weren't patient. Coming out. So unfortunately, when you have children, you're going into another season of actually working on yourself and going to a new level of maturity yourself as a parent while you're training the children. So unfortunately, you're going to have to do both at the same time. And that's why you're here today. Purposeful learning. Learning does not happen accidentally. Learning does not happen just because you get older. Improvement and learning and maturity happens because you intentionally... Work on areas of your life where you know you need work. We needed work. I needed work on my life. Teresa needed work on our life because of the way we grew up. I had a mixture. I had a mixture of we're, we're at church. Mother got us in church, taught us how to sing. We lived where we lived, and it gave us purpose to sing. And to this day, we're singing. And so... I sing the national anthems at the San Antonio Rodeo. I've been doing that for 25 years. If you've ever been to the rodeo, that's because my mother got me on the platform at church at six years old. That's how that happened. And I sing at our church as well and on the worldwide broadcast. Why do I do that? Because at six years old, my mother got us on the platform to do it. In a rough time, if you give your children good things in the Lord and purpose It'll get inside of them, and they'll do it all the days of their life. So, so be encouraged with that. My mother remarried after two years, and didn't know it, but married a physical abuser, emotional, verbal. Now, in his mind, he thought he was justified in hitting her in the face, knocking her down the floor, blood, sweat, tears, screaming, raging. Uh, and at seven years old, me and my brother have to have to stand there and watch that. And we were traumatized and it created rage and hate in us. And at the same time, fear and insecurities. And so later on, and she eventually got us out of that. But later on, we had to deal with that ourselves emotionally. And so you have to do it purposely. You go and get training, ministry, counseling. Now, some people don't believe in counseling well, not believing in counseling is like not believing in physicians, doctors. You can't conduct surgery on yourself. It's the same thing as not believing in people that have giftings that might could help you. It's the same thing as if you don't believe in counseling and getting, and getting educated about something you're unaware of, you probably shouldn't believe in pastors teaching you anything, uh, professors, teachers, surgeons, because they're all doing something with their giftings. That help you so I want to encourage you in that way in case you've had mentality that keeps you from working on yourself as well the Bible says he gave people giftings to be used and so you go to someone that has knowledge and hopefully a gifting in an area that can help your life and then Especially a counselor that adds the Lord and prayer into the psychological behavioral side of it both as well. Because you need the Lord involved in anything you do to bring you to a place of healing, deliverance, cleansing, learning, and empowerment to walk out what you've learned and walk out your Christian life. And you need the Lord because he can do more for you than you in your natural self have the power to do. But also, in addition to that, you purposely improve your life and work on yourself. Eventually, we got out of the abuse, but later on, we had to deal with it. We had to get the hate and unforgiveness and rage out of us and the insecurities that that created. But we purposefully, me and my brother, we did that so that we could be at peace. So I want to encourage you. I brought that up briefly and... Teresa grew up in similar scenarios to where she would be in the house at elementary school for two or three days alone by her and her sister. No food, the electricity would be turned off, they'd be cold, they'd be eating anything they could out of the refrigerator, grew up that way. And she had to purposely work on herself. I mean, she and I have been through, we've been through years purposefully of training, ministry, working on ourselves, seminars, CDs, to catch up with and, and replace how we, the first 12 years of our life. And I'm saying that to say you do it purposefully, you do it intentionally. All right, excellent. Any questions about that so far? All right. Now what I'd like to do is bring my daughter Brittany up in this in this piece right here. I'm about to talk about personal offenses. I'm going to talk a little bit about a little bit more about personalities. I'm going to talk about purpose of the father. But before I go into that phase of it, I'd like for you to hear my daughter's perspective of what helped her in her years of development in our home. I mean that could be risky right for me to do that. <laughs> but it would be good for you to hear that. And now, since she's a mother, to hear, for you to hear her insights that she has now as a mother to help you and benefit you. So, Brittany, if you would come up and talk to, talk to the group, and I know it will be a blessing to them.
2: I guess it could be risky, but thank God there's been positive results. So it doesn't have to be you know by chance. So the first thing I wanna to touch on that I think is very important, and I noticed that my parents did this, and so now I'm doing this with my children. My children are eight and under, I have three children. But it's training them according to their personality type. So it's imperative that you know your child's personality type, we at our office, We'll do personality assessments and we break them down into actually four types of different personalities because when you're able to identify the personality type of the child, you're, uh, you have a different type of knowledge on how to communicate with them. So you know, let's say we have a personality type that's real direct. If you take a passive approach with that child, do you know what happens? You're not effective, correct? So you have to know that okay my child is a direct personality type they're strong will so I need to be uh um, very certain when you speak to them and straight to the point you know you don't want to beat around the bush or um not not confront things right away uh so that way you know you are the most effective with that child so that being said, the consequences in your home need to stay consistent, no matter what type of personality you have. So, let's say lying is uh, not allowed in your in your household. You don't want one child to lie, and you give them a, an intense punishment, and then your other child. Let's say it's a it's a more of a servant type personality and they lie, but you have more compassion on them and you don't discipline the same way, that's not gonna uh, create a good relationship between the siblings as well as with your children. So make sure your consequences stay consistent on certain matters, you know, fighting within the family, lying, you wanna stay consistent. You wanna speak to them and teach them the way that they learn most effectively. So that's why it's important to identify their personality type because you need to be able to teach them um, and implement certain knowledge on how they receive instruction. You know, it's easier for us to just speak how we naturally speak, but you won't be as effective when you do that. People will not receive it how they um, actually can take it in and apply it. And so because they're your children and you want them to succeed, you need to cater to the way they receive things. You're not, um, you're not doing them a disservice by doing that. You're actually uh, allowing them um, and building them to be the person that you want them to be. And as they get older, then you can begin to train them on the different personality types around them so that they can be effective when they're communicating. Does that make sense? And then that being said, that's why it's important to know your personality, the personality types, uh, but you also need to um, be able to bridge a gap in between the siblings, because some of the worst things to deal with in your home is conflict between siblings, am I right? I mean, that, that is, that's difficult as parents, you know, constantly be correcting, dealing with arguing and fighting. So if you're able to bridge that gap between their different personalities, then you will create a unison between them, them that will last. So they're going to fight, they're going to argue, but if you're able to uh, bring them together as they get older, they will have a long-lasting relationship. So for example... My parents, they would say, okay, you know your sister um, does not like this, or this irritates her, so let's not do that, because, you know, they were initially letting us know, if you do this, you are going to be causing trouble, and then as a result, we would end up getting, you know, some type of discipline if we cross those lines, Okay, an, an important thing, and I, I talk to um, a lot of my friends that deal with this issue, you need to sit and listen to your children. I know you, um, ex, you know, touched on this a little bit, but when you sit there and just let your child talk, you find out a lot about them, whether they're three years old or 18 years old. Uh, you will find out how they think how they receive people, how they believe that people are looking at them. Uh, you're able to really um, identify a lot about them and more than just uh, what you see in your home because when they go outside your home, that's when their true personality comes out or their fears or the things that they deal with. So if you sit there and you ask questions, then, then you, you'll begin to identify those things. So for example, When my children come home from school, I say, okay, how was your day, right? That's normal. But I don't stop there. I actually say, okay, well, what did you eat for lunch? Who did you sit by at lunch? Okay, well, what did you do at recess? Because I'm opening the door of communication, but I'm also identifying who their friends are, what they like to talk about. And then I I also notice that, okay, if I look at their mannerisms. If somebody said something that hurt them, You know, because they'll open up at, you know, well, this person at recess said this. Then I go deeper into that. Well, why did that bother you? Uh, Why did that hurt you? And that way I'm able to actually correct things in their thinking or see things in their thinking that may be lacking. This I definitely learned from my father and mother because as he said, he would sit us down literally for about an hour every time we were disciplined and he would find out, okay, why are you thinking this way? Why did you do this? And as a counselor, he already knew why we did it. He was just making us identify it. And so that's what I'm now doing with my children, not only in a discipline setting, but just in their normal day lives. What are you doing in this situation? Well, this is how you actually can do it. And during this time, that's when we uh, apply the Word of God to those certain situations. We in our daily walk at home can apply the Word of God, but when you hear what your children are going through outside your home, then you know what scriptures to apply directly to their situation or how they think. So, for example, let's say we have um, a child that is being uh, criticized at school or bullied or um, something around those lines. You want to apply the Word of God saying... um, You know, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Then you actually know how to equip them to go out into the world to be a stronger person and not deal with that, you know, bullying, not allow it to happen. And let's go on the other side, which I have this. I have uh, my oldest child, a strong-willed daughter, um, that when she goes out, she can be more direct and hurt people's feelings. So I have to teach her how to love and what God says about loving. Um, and loving, you know, your neighbor, loving your friends. So that's how you're able to identify, okay, this is what my child needs, and this is when they need it, and this is what the Word of God says about it. So that's uh, connecting Scripture with their personality type, the way they see things, and in their daily walk, because that's what you really want to do. They need Scripture to apply to their daily walk. We all know that, you know outside the church walls, outside your home, the world is not an easy place to be raising children right now. So you need to be able to equip them with the Word of God in order to really conquer life right now. Am I right? It's, it's difficult. Um, so I'm going to expand a little more on the Word of God in, in the daily walk. I, I know my father had mentioned that every morning he would put scripture in us, put scripture in us. And, you know, as a child, you just think it's fun because your dad's in there spending time with you. You know, we're saying these scriptures. Uh, and as you get older, you know, those things are embedded in your heart. He had sowed a seed and they're in there. So as we're getting older, we're teenagers, we're going off to college. I know he likes to say, your teachings will only go as far as toilet paper will hold. It goes, you know, not far at all. It'll just break off, especially when they're, they leave your home. So if you implement the Word of God, it's very deep in there. It doesn't matter what situation your child is in. If they're completely rebellious or if they're on the side, you know, following a straight walk according to, you know, the way you train them, that principle, those principles, those godly principles will stay in their heart. So I'm a, a prime example of that. You know, I, I definitely, uh, because I was strong-willed and I was like a fighter, I tried to fight against everything that they taught me right when I left the house. But I still had that word of God deep down, you know, and I'm doing this because it was deep down in here. So even though my mind was in a different place and my desires were in a different place, I had a uh, something set deep in me that didn't allow me to go too far. I remember my mom would tell me consistently in my teenage years that, you know, we dedicated you to Christ as a child, and you have no choice but to come back. So as a teenager, I was like, yeah, right. But (laughs) in reality, that's what happened. You know, and, and something in me knew that because I knew, because the foundation was there, that God was stronger than all of that. And it's almost like a fear of God it's putting in there, too. So stay consistent with the Word of God because teachings do not last. My my children, we do the same thing now. And actually, it's in the car. And uh, we start off with the whole armor of God because, when you know, you need that whole armor of God going out into the world. And so my husband, he... Um, Uh, had a a hard childhood also, but he has seen the benefits of speaking the word of God. And his mom also did that. And so now he takes on that role also. And so he actually plays a game with the kids where it's, you know, the whole armor of God they're putting on, you know, like they're going into battle and uh, what that does for the kids, it actually puts symbolism in it, you know, and they're, they're getting involved. So, you know, with teaching, it's not just saying things, although saying things are, that's effective, but it's experiencing it. So when you're experiencing it, you know, it sinks in. So you can go that extra mile. It's not just sitting there saying, "For God's not giving me a spirit of fear. But you go through the house and say, look, this applies to this. We're no longer going to, you know, stay in fear about this, and then this is why. And you relate it to their lives so that way they can go back and think, oh, this is how it applies. Uh, So Stay consistent with scripture. Also, let me me hit back to listening to your children. Uh, What that does is it creates a long-lasting bond between you. Around, it's it's preteen years, around 11, starts a little bit younger for girls, uh, there starts to become a disconnect right, with with the parents, where they no longer want to listen directly to you, and they're starting to think on their own, but if you start the bond at a young age, they know in their heart and mind that they can come back to you, so let's say you're starting a a little bit later, um, you know, still be that open person that they can talk to, sit there, it's a safe place that you can instill knowledge, and you can instill instruction in them, uh, that That they know, okay, if I'm in a really hard time, that that, there's an open door there and I won't be (sighs) criticized. I won't be um, scrutinized. But my parents can actually direct me. And that's what, um, when you sit there and listen to your child, that's what that does. I have a friend that her daughter, when she doesn't know how to speak to her because her daughter's all over the place... What you do with that, and this is knowing their personality, is you redirect them to what you know, you're know you wanting to find out about their day. So let's say they go off on some wild thing. Well, this person said this, and then I was looking around, you know, and it's hard to follow. Teach your child how to think. Teach your child how to speak. Redirect them to a straight path. So you were telling me at recess you did this, and, and that's a part of training, but you're also finding out what you were wanting to find out. So don't disengage at that time, but redirect. Because I know as parents, we have a lot going on, but don't get distracted from your purpose in implying the word of God and listening to your child. Okay, we as parents are not perfect, and that's okay, right? Because as human beings, we're not perfect. So why as parents should we pretend that we are? And I know that's really difficult when you're instructing your child. You have a uh, you you believe you have a really good idea of how they should be doing things, uh, but it's okay to admit to your children that you're not perfect. And I feel like that's a huge thing my parents did for us. So let's say, and I do this often, especially when it's been a stressful day. Uh, you know your kids do something, and you react in a way that you don't want to. How many of y'all done that? Yeah. And then you go back and think, oh, gosh, I really wish I would have done it this way. So what I do... I come up to my child and I say, you know, I apologize for reacting this way. I should have done it this way. I should have been more patient. I should have listened or I shouldn't have acted out of anger. And I apologize. And I ask the Lord for forgiveness. So will you forgive me also? And so what you're doing in that process is you're letting them know it's okay not to be perfect. I'm not perfect. And you're also teaching them the process of asking for forgiveness and forgiving. So it, there's a lot of life lessons right in that, in that simple phrase. There's times that I've seen um, either in high school or right at that transition of college that the children finally notice that their parents aren't perfect. And what happens? They get angry Right? They start to get offended. They hold offenses. Well, my parents did this. They said I should have been doing this this whole time, but they're over here doing this. Do y'all remember back when when you discovered your parents weren't perfect? It's it really is a big eye opener. But if you let your children know before that time that you're not perfect, then they don't get offended. They don't get angry at you. They they allow you know you to make those mistakes once they're once they're able to comprehend that. Apology as parents to your children is a huge learning lesson. I mean, what an example uh, for your person in authority to come to you and say, I wasn't right, but this is how we do it. That's, a, I mean, that's effective instead of constantly pretending that, you know, the authority has the final say so and they're always right. You know, in in your jobs or in any type of situations where you're around people, uh, haven't you noticed that it's more effective when someone's open with you and they come and apologize? That's the same thing with your children. Your children aren't any different human beings than, than we are sitting here. They have the same thought processes, the way they calculate things. And so you have to see it that way. Yes, we're forming them and we're training them but we still have to be open in the same way we uh, react to things and receive things, that's, that's like them. <coughs> Does anyone have any questions for me? Maybe about personality types or um, how to effectively communicate with your children in regards to how they receive see things? Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, So we break them down uh, into your direct child, your social child, the servant child, and the analyzer. And so in those personality types, they can have different traits and they can um, have a combination of them. But when you start to see them that way, you also know how to discipline them. So disciplining a social child... um, Oh, okay, well, let's do it this way. Socializing, uh, I mean, disciplining an analyzing child, a child that just sits there, analyzes things. It's, they're not very open. They like to keep to themselves. So let's say you take away friends from them. You won't be as effective because they don't care, right? Friends aren't a big deal to them. But let's say on the disciplining side, you take the friend aspect away, maybe take away their phone, you don't let them, you know, hang out with their friends with a social child, you're going to be very effective. So you want to identify that, and then you can discipline according to their personality type. That's how you're more effective. I know my parents constantly took my friends away, because that was the problem. I was a social person, and then I would also, you know, probably hang out with the wrong people. So when you take that away, it was effective for me. And then my older sister, you know, she was more direct, so they would go in there and they'd be straight to the point. They'd discipline her, and that would be more effective. So, so identify what your child is like, uh, how they respond to things, and communicate, discipline, and teach according to that Yeah, we do them there at the office. So you would come in and we would do, depending on the age, so we either have a written out test where you uh, the child will go through it and then we can identify their personality type or if they're under, like let's say around 12, it depends on their maturity level, uh, we'll actually sit there and assess their personality type and we will go over their strengths and their weaknesses uh, in order for them to be the most successful adult that they can be. So... Every personality has strengths and weaknesses. And a lot of times when a, when someone, even a child or adult, when they're operating out of the weakness of their personality, it can be identified as a troubled person or what is wrong with this person. But really, simply, they might just be operating in the weakness. And so what you need to do with that is identify it and move them over to their strengths because that's where they're most effective. You're not going to have... Um, A child who is naturally not organized um, that you know their rooms a mess you're not gonna try to strengthen that because you're gonna be ineffective you need to strengthen maybe their their social side let's say they're a leader you want to strengthen that because that's where their their gifts and talents are gonna be that's where they'll be the most successful if you start trying to make them be organized and um, you know in order it's a waste of your time. Now, I understand having certain guidelines, you know, like you can't have things crazy in your home, but focus on their strengths. That's how, they're, that's how they become successful.
0: What about a servant child when you're trying to discipline them? That's do you have a any-
2: need. Yeah, um, you wanna sit there and you wanna show them the time that you're giving them. Sit there and talk to them. Find out why they did what they did um, let them know, a lot of times with that servant personality, relationships are a big deal. You know, uh, having the two-way listening and talking. So find out why they did something. Talk in return. Let them know why, you know, you're you're having to intervene, uh, why they're being disciplined. You sit there and have that connection with them. And then you still discipline accordingly. You can't take away that aspect of it just because, you know, they're maybe... Um, more of the servant child and not as big as a of a you know a big of a deal. A lot of times the stronger personalities when they do something wrong, it's like whoa, you know it's a bigger deal. And then the the servant child could do the same thing and it doesn't seem as big. But you don't want to undermine the. Um, the actual thing that happened. So yeah, sit there and listen to them. Give them that time. You interact with them and show them why. That's that training process between them. Uh, I have to do that with my son. I have to sit there with him. I have to uh, allow him to speak because he's the only boy. He's in the middle. So at times he can feel like he is forgotten about. So I sit there and I give him that time to speak. And then I say, okay, well, this is why we're doing this. This is what needs to happen, and this is why you're punished. Do you understand? Yes or no, and if it's no, then we go in farther with that. And, And then I also let him know, you're not forgotten. Repeat that, and he'll say, I'm not forgotten, and then this is why. Because I don't allow that negative thinking to go on. It's natural that those thoughts come to our head, but you can't allow it to go on. You have to identify it and cut it off at its source. You're not forgotten because God loves you, and this is what God says about it.
1: So your siblings, your parents um, treated them differently depending on their personality type, Mm -hmm. and you saw that. So did you ever think about that?
2: Um, No, because the consequence stayed the same. So I didn't feel like I was um, being treated unfairly because we all got in trouble. Well, for like my mom, it was a big deal if we fought in the house. So if we fought in the house, we would all be punished the same way. The consequence was the same, whether it's the same, you know, a chore or a spank or a timeout, it was all the same. But they would interact with us different in order for us to be the most effective you know, or the punish to be the most, uh, the, the, excuse me, the training to be most effective, or for the teaching. Did that make sense?
1: Yes, but then it led to my next question because you said that depending on the personality type, you would have to gear the punishment. But it sounds like in your situation, they kind of made it consistent. Yes.
2: But I'm sure they made allowances. Maybe. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't be, Tricky. it wouldn't be like um, a. So let's say fighting, because I was a stronger personality, uh, it wouldn't be, you know, a grounding for me and a slap on the hand for, you know, my younger sister. No, we would both be in. Pun- we would both be punished. And let's say they were- let's just say they weren't the same. They would be on the same level to us, whether if friends are. And this will actually happen more as teenagers, uh, because you need to be the most effective in the teenage years as. Younger children, you can kind of keep it the same across the board. Uh, but as teenagers, you need um, different variations uh, because, you know, that's when they're rebelling or, you know, coming with their own thoughts. So if the big deal is friends, then you take away friends. And then the big deal to the other kid is, you know, going to their extracurricular, then you take that away. You work, you work it according um, to their personality, but on the same level. Yes.
3: When parents are in the heat of conflict, how do you get the parent and, and the child needs to be disciplined? How do you get, how do the parents come into unity before applying discipline to
2: the child? So when you say um, conflict with each other or with the event? Conflict with each other. You need to walk away. And your, your child is going to remember that they did that no matter if it was right then or if it's 10 minutes down the line. They're just hoping you forget. (laughs) So you're allowed that time to walk away. Walk away, get it settled with your spouse, with the other parent, get it settled, bring your emotional levels down. Really, you shouldn't be disciplining your children when your uh, emotional level is high anyways, whether it's conflict or not. Walk away, think about, you know, okay, how do I really need to be handling this if my emotions aren't involved? And then do it that way. Y'all get on one page because when you're on one page, that's when you're the most successful, right? On one accord. Uh, you know, y'all, y'all sit there and you pray together. Pray, you know, when you pray together, it'll, it'll bring you back to this. It's okay to have different opinions about parenting, but come together. Any other questions? Okay. Thank you for allowing me this time to speak to you, and um, if you desire for your children to come and uh, for us to assess their personalities, you can bring them to our office. We can do that, Uh, and it will open up your knowledge about your child and make it so much easier to communicate them as they grow. Blessings.
1: Thank you, Brittany. So Brittany is one of the counselors in my practice, and uh, typically we send the the children or teenage age, young adult 20 round. we send them to Brittany because she's very effective with that age group. And so uh, if you if you're interested, in that, you can get one of our cards, you can get one of her cards, make an appointment with her. You'll find that she'll be very effective for your children, even in severe situations. Cutting, uh, <clears throat> depression, things of that nature. So thank you, Brittany, for sharing with the, with the group. Now, let's go a little bit further. We have 30 minutes Before we have lunch, I think. And if if you need to go to the restroom before then, I'm just going to keep teaching. You can just slip out as quietly as you can and come back. Come back, of course. Now let's talk about the purpose of the father. This is a very important part of parenting. Uh, God is a father who created the purpose of a father. So let's look at the New Testament it says in Ephesians six four. the Amplified says this, Fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment, but rear them tenderly in the training and discipline and the counsel and admonition of the Lord. So isn't it, um, isn't it fascinating that the Scripture uh, actually uses a word here that's not used in society, basically, and that is tenderly. They usually typically would say the mother is to be tender and the father is to be like rough. Well, the scripture says that you could, the message here is that fathers can provoke their children to anger and resentment if they're not tender with their children. I want you to ponder that for just a moment. As a father, you don't have to be mean to be effective and to be respected. You're mainly respected because of the way you live and because you train your children in the ways of the Lord and you role model well for them. They will respect you for that. Meanness from fathers creates resentment and anger in the children, not respect. I want you to let that soak in when you're thinking about how you interact with your wife and with your children as well. So exasperate, let me break this down, means to irritate them. Admonish means to warn gently, to reprove, to rebuke. So that is your approach. And then the most important thing is what I said earlier, and that is admonish them in the Lord. That's what the Scripture's saying for us to do. And the Scripture is pointing this out specifically to the fathers, even though that kind of seems unfair a little bit. It's pointing out fathers, this is how you're supposed to train your children. So if that does not describe you, this is where you pray over yourself. You do work on yourself. And if it's an internal wound that you have inside and that wound comes up in the form of rage, quick temper, meanness, or maybe even abuse, don't excuse it and say that you're being abusive because this person said this or that. Take responsibility for, repent of, abuse and meanness in your home. And I counsel with many fathers who come into my office, they're full of anger, they're full of rage, they're full of meanness, and they think that their family deserves to be treated that way. And when they start talking to me, they'll say, well, I probably shouldn't have done this or said it this way, but. And then they go to that. And what, what does that say? They're excusing it, and they're going to continue the meanness, the emotional abuse, the verbal abuse. It is an, in no way encouraged, permitted, instructed by the Scripture that you should be mean to your family. It creates resentment and anger in the children. Take responsibility for it. Begin to purposefully, intentionally move that out of your life. If you can't do it yourself, get with somebody who can help you. Now, Genesis 2.15, let me talk to you about this. It's the first time that that the purpose of the Father was mentioned in the Scripture. And this is still line item 6, middle of the page, just before just before uh, I talk about keep and protect and dress. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, placed him in the Garden of Eden, to dress it and to keep it. The Garden of Eden was Adam's home, and it represents our home. So God gave Adam a purpose as a man. The Lord God took the man, so he took the man first, gave him a purpose, and that was two things, dress and keep. These are Hebrew words. The word dress is a Hebrew word that means to provide for. It breaks down this way, provide spiritually, and that is training, leadership, love, the scripture, role modeling, and, and then provide naturally. Provide naturally we shelter and income. And so that is a purpose of a man. And then the second purpose is to protect, protect, protect your home, protect your home sometimes from yourself, protect your home from the wicked one, protect yourself from negative influences or influences that come from the kingdom of darkness, protect them. So those are the two purposes of the man. Think about it. Those are your primary purposes and both of them are spiritual first, then natural So the Lord God took the man, placed him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Keep means to protect. Those are your two primary purposes. That's our responsibility. That was so. When he didn't do that, when Adam did not do that, what happened? Curse came into his home. How was it, very quickly, how was it that Adam didn't protect his home? Well, if you'll notice, when the serpent, He came to the woman, Eve, and he said this. He said that God didn't say, or that God said, the day you touch the fruit, you will surely die. But that's not what God told Adam. God told Adam, the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. So the deception of the wicked one came to her, misquoted what God said to Adam, God communicated that information to Adam, and Adam either didn't communicate it to his wife or didn't come back around and protect. And when she believed that she had already sinned by touching it, then it was easy to go in and take a bite. It was the deception of the wicked one. And in that way, Adam didn't protect, and it brought curse into the Garden of Eden. So it is with you as fathers and husbands. Protect your home by more effective communication. Not ranting, not meanness. Effective communication. Those are the two purposes of the father and husband. That gives you good insight in what the Lord's purpose for men would be. Furthermore, a man that really that doesn't provide in some way and that doesn't work feels less about themselves. They don't, if you don't have purpose, you feel more like a failure. And then you're more hypersensitive if anybody says anything about you not doing anything. So men need to have that kind of a purpose. God created them for that. Purpose of the mother, Proverbs 14:1 says to the women, every wise woman builds her house, but the foolish plucks it down with her hands. How would you think a woman could tear down the home? Criticalness? Negativity? That would be easy to happen. I I talk to, to sons and daughters often that... Say to me that their mother was critical with them, negative, micromanaging, quick temper, emotionally escalated quickly. And it affected, it affected them in their self-worth, especially, of course, 0 to 12, development of your self-worth. It affected them more in their self-image, 12 to 20. So mothers, your purpose, build up your home. Build them up. And then the Bible also says that it's not good for man to be alone. I'll give him a help meet for him. That's a few verses down from Genesis 2.15. It's not good for man to be alone. Well, that doesn't just mean loneliness. Not good in the Bible means more than not good to us. So it's not good for man to be alone. I'll give him a help meet, M-E-E-T, the Hebrew says. Well, what some people would love for that to be M-E-A-T. Excuse me for saying that, but it's M-E-E-T. <laughs> Help meet. What does that mean? That means that the man is not 100% capable of making all decisions, having all wisdom, and noticing everything in all circumstances. What that means is the woman has a PC board, let's call it, on the inside of her that is capable of helping that man. However, the man has to see it that way and not perceive her as being controlling or telling him that he's a failure if she tries to help him. So it's dual part, right? So when Teresa and I were first married, first five, six years of our life, maybe a little bit longer, <clears throat> it was when, I, when I was in graduate school, uh, we were married and had two children, Amanda and Brittany, when I was in graduate school, and I worked full-time as well. So I don't really have any empathy for a man who works 20 hours a week and tells me he's tired. So God gave you purpose, it makes you feel better, and people respect you better when you have purpose in your life. So Teresa would ask me questions a lot. When is this going to happen? What is your schedule today? She still does that. And what time is your first session? When does it end? When so the first few years of my life, I thought she was either trying to control me or didn't trust me. So we would have those conversations. Don't you trust me? Why do you need to know these details? Right? You're taking away my freedom. And some of you can relate to that. Your wife asks you questions. Maybe, maybe that's called communication. And the one, <laughs> if you ever think about that? It's called communication. And maybe the one who loves you just wants to bond with you that way and also plan her day because you're important. But if you see it as she's nagging me, she's controlling me, she's micromanaging me, she doesn't trust me, then you'll respond incorrectly and you'll defend yourself. And then she's wondering, what's wrong with you? Why don't you just answer the question? (laughs) So I began to pray over this, because Teresa and I had had many discussions about this control thing and not trusting. And I began to pray, and isn't this uh, insightful? Ask the Lord to tell you what to do, right? And I asked the Lord, now, what do I do with this? And I'm telling you, as well as I'm standing on this platform, the Lord spoke to me and said, why don't you just answer her questions? (laughs) Like, oh man, divine revelation. (laughs) Then I began to realize that, okay, women in general are information driven. But on top of that, if you have children, they're even more so information driven because they have a maternal responsibility to build their house up and they have to have information in order to do that. All right, once I got that revelation, then I went on the next step and I said, okay, I'm going to start offering information as much as I can and think about it in advance. But certainly when she asks a question, I'm just going to answer it. And if I don't know, I'll say I don't know, but I'll look. I'm going to tell you the day I took that approach, the conversations were shorter They were longer because I made them longer, talking about how she was controlling, and she wasn't. She just, and I started answering the question. Just answer the question. And it got so much better. No conflict. And furthermore, I realized that when Teresa had the information, it relieved her.
0: All right, we're going to get started. Uh, Grab your... And, uh, and come join us. I'm going to invite uh, Brian sisark to come up, and uh, he's going to share just real briefly uh, a little bit about uh, his and Ruth's experience. Um, yeah, both of you can come up. Uh, just a little bit about navigating some of these things uh, with their own children.
4: Great. Now I don't want to take any time away from Dr. Jones, so just add on whatever time I'm we're not going to take too much time here. No, Ruth and I, I could talk for, gosh, a long time on lots of what Dr. Jones has said. But we, we, uh, we met Dr. Jones probably, I don't know, seven years ago when we were having some difficulty uh, with one of our children. And I just want to encourage you guys that one thing you said before the first break, I think, was... Because um, I know this has probably gone through every one of your heads... Unless you don't just have really small children, but even if you have really small children, you'd probably say I'm a total failure, you know, I'm, you know, or something like that, or, or all the ideas, those those messages or whatever come to you. The good thing is, is is it's ne- and you said it a minute ago. It is never too late to plant seeds and expect a harvest, because we um, and we're talking about even even in a in a teenage teenage year type of situation we saw we have seen so much fruit from doing what uh, what mark has been talking about this morning Um, and one of the things he may touch on in a minute that he hasn't said yet is with our child we got in a situation where we were so disconnected that we wouldn't even be touching each other I mean that's I mean physically disconnected and one of the things we did that had such a major impact on all of us was when we would pray over our child and our children, we would, we would put our hands on them, whether they liked it or not. We just, we just would. And what we found and what, what Mark will tell you is, is that tells your child that you value them. I mean, if you're if you're not, if you're not in contact with your children, if it gets to that point, you've got to contend for that. And um, you have anything to, to add?
3: Yeah, and just starting that early, loving on them, putting your hands on them, blessing them early. It's trust me, it's much easier starting it when they're little bitty versus when they get to be teenagers. We pressed through when they when you know they were teenagers, and it's harder. But you know what? God blesses his word and he is faithful and he just does what he says he's going to do.
4: Yeah, and all our kids are our youngest is 18. Now we have four four children. They're all out of the house and we are continually thanking God, but still it never stops. I mean, when they turn 18, it's like it it just keeps going, you know. It just it just changes. So, yeah, it's, it's it keeps going. But it's it's been it's a blessing. Your ch- listen this is the no matter what you do in life your work and all and especially you you dads but moms too this is focus this is your job focus on this this is the most important thing don't get caught up especially if you're younger right now and you're kind of you know stay focused this is this is the job you're impacting generations here your children and your children's children and dr jones is totally right Everything he's saying, you will see the fruit if you will, if you will plant, plant the seed. So that's all I got. It's
0: good. I, I think uh, Evan and Grace are maybe in the best position of all of us because they're expecting uh, their first child, and, uh, and so they get to get this stuff right out of the gate uh, where the rest of us are having to make up. I, one of the things that Dr. Jones said earlier was, He, um, I was like, yeah, I got this, I got this, and he said, don't ever tell your kid, your son or daughter, what's the matter with you. I was like, oh man, I'm like (laughs) that's what I say all the time, and so now I got to go repent to my kids and ask for forgiveness, and uh, yeah, it's a process and it's a lot of hard work, but anything worthwhile is work, isn't it? And and so it's it's definitely well worth the uh, the amount of time it takes. Doctor Jones, you want to come? share with us we're gonna uh, we're gonna go to about uh, 145 150 and then we're gonna bring our kids in you're gonna actually the last thing we'll do is pray over our kids for some of us it may mean uh, apologizing to our kids and, and asking them to forgive us uh, but then we're gonna pray for our kids and uh, at that point we'll check them out the teachers are gonna bring uh, the checkout list so we'll check them out and then you'll be free to go from there Excellent. thank you <clears throat> If you
1: didn't pick one up on the tables in the back, I am not teaching on this today, but I want you to take it home with you, and you can use this developmental checklist to basically track the development of your child. It starts one to three months and goes... So if you don't have one, pick one up, and that way you can basically measure the development of your child by looking at this checklist through the years <clears throat> i want to bring that up excellent any of you have any questions uh thoughts that you've had questions that came up in your mind during your lunchtime and thank you pastor and your administration and your family uh for providing this wonderful food wasn't this great right it was wonderful and this Opportunity to learn at this seminar. Any questions? Feel free to ask any questions. Because when you ask questions, you're going to you're going to prompt me to talk about something I might not have in my outline because there's so much territory to cover. Yes, when you're talking about um, sewing and ripping, you talked about breaking the ground, and I sort of wanted to know how how that looks. Breaking the ground ground part of it. Okay, so whenever you're planting something, the seed, and the Bible talks about this. <clears throat> when you put seed on hard ground, the seed can't go deep uh, into the soil, <clears throat> and it has to go deep into the soil so that the wind, the rain, and the elements won't, when it's when it's washing away some of the soil. won't get down into where the seed is and pull it out. And the Bible talks about that in Mark chapter 4. Conditions of the heart. All right. How you break up the ground of a child is this. When they are a child, especially the first 12 years, but also after that, their heart is actually opened and the ground is broken Because God made them to be like a sponge, like broken ground, to receive anything and everything that you're doing and saying. So their ground is broken when they're young. Now later on, teenage, adult, if you haven't put it in them when they're young, then they may have some hardness of heart, less receptiveness to prayer and scripture the longer you go, and you can relate to it maybe if your parents didn't sow seed, pray with you in your developmental years, and then later on, if they tried to pray with you or say scripture, you were less receptive and maybe even resist, resi- uh, re- resistant. And then some are hostile to it. However, put it in them when they're young, it's better. They are it, does, it is the same thing as broken. Later on, brokenness happens either voluntarily, like submitting yourself to the Lord, being broken before the Lord. That's called humility, submitting your will to the Lord, prayer, openness to God, asking the Holy Spirit to do His work in you. That's a form of broken self-brokenness. But also there's another form of brokenness, After you're in adulthood. And that is because of being wounded. Broken down. Bruised. By something. And during the time that you're broken. Use that time. To do a deeper work in yourself. I know this as a counselor 25 years. When people come into my office. And they're wounded. That woundedness allows me to get deeper into their life than I would have been able to if they weren't broken. If everything was good, they're not as receptive. So when they're wounded, a wound is an opening, is a brokenness. It's an opening. And through the wound, you can go in and do a deeper work. That is the best time, actually, to go deeper inside of yourself or let someone else do it. And do the work just like surgery to go inside of your physical body in some way they have to open you up in some way even if it's microscopic so you have to penetrate areas of your life well when you're wounded it's better and a wound will allow more good in or more bad People go one of two directions when they're wounded or traumatized. They'll get closer to God and open up and want more help, or they'll go the other direction, get further away from God, and shut down and put walls around, thinking that that's protecting them from getting wounded again. But it doesn't. It actually just keeps the wound alive on the inside of them, on the inside of the walls. That answer your question. Another question, please. When you ask questions, it helps. So I know you were talking about um, when it comes to disciplining. Okay, for the recording, I'm going to say when it comes, I'm going to repeat your question. When it comes to disciplining, Um, you're talking about physicality as far as like spanking, you don't do it out of like anger. Okay, you don't spank out of anger, is the question, and keep Um, going. Um, Or impulsivity in the moment.
5: Child sees it more as discipline than it is as just like mommy's hitting me kind of thing, versus oh I'm gonna spank in because it is out of discipline. Is there an age where they understand it and maybe it's better to start that versus
1: I don't know, too young or too old? Yeah, let me explain it this way. Whenever you have corporal punishment or some form of spanking Number one, yes. Don't do it out of your own anger, certainly out of your own rage or your compulsivity or impulsivity, and don't do it out of lack of knowledge, meaning you didn't know any other way to deal with it, so you just spanked. All right. On the so a spanking when they're before age, before before they start talking, for example, um, you know, would a spanking shouldn't come in the form of of a, if, if you spank and you're angry, your contact with them will probably be greater than is required to intervene into whatever you're trying to stop or to impact them. That being said, hold that right there and let me give you another example. When they can talk and comprehend to some extent, use words, what you do is explain to them in advance that these certain violations will result in a spank. Tell them in advance. Furthermore, you explain to them that spanking is not hitting and not the same thing. Hitting as an assault, spank is not. Spank should be a controlled environment, and it's for a different purpose. Assault is for another purpose. And especially if you train your children that that's what it is, they won't see it as a hit. Because if they walked up and assaulted someone, that feels different. Or if I went up and assaulted them, that would feel different than a preset knowledge. That this action will turn into a spank, but even in the spank, we would uh, wouldn't spank for everything. Uh, what we like, what, like what uh, Brittany said earlier, if we had an analytical personality type, we would punish them in the way that it affected them. If we had an aggressive personality type, we would be more direct with them. <clears throat> now, when you when you would have to spank, we didn't. Uh, think that it was as productive to spank with the same hand that you love them with because you could walk up and want to like caress them but if that's the same hand 15 minutes earlier that you know you slap their face or they're you know then it's that same hand alright so then they you know when you walk up and raise your hand they'll flinch so what we did was purposefully is we went after more psychological impact when you spank rather than you know, inflicting some pain that's a trauma-oriented pain. So there's a difference between spanking and creating a trauma and spanking and just creating a psychological memory. So what I would use is, uh, it sounds worse, but that's the point. I would purposely went and found the widest belt that I could. See how bad that sounds, right? (laughs) The reason it sounds bad, though, is because people have abused that with the buckle and all that. And with narrower belts, that actually penetrates the skin more, and it hurts more, and it could create damage. Or even a spoon or a switch. Thinner, penetrate the skin more, maybe even create a contusion. But a wide belt like that with no holes in it and no rivets, it's flat, it's loud, uh, it's wide, it looks worse when you pull it out. Psychological effect. (laughs) (laughs) Like, off that, or I'm going to go and get that. And then as soon as they see this huge, like, okay, all right, I'll never do it again. Sometimes we didn't have to go any further than that. Then we'd sit down, you know, if they just immediately just submitted. And even when you use that kind of a belt, it's purposeful, intentional. It's loud. It looks worse. It's psychological. It's not like I'm going to traumatize them. That's why you don't do it out of your own anger as well. See the difference? Yes, sir. Uh, but that's not for everything. It's certain things. The rest of the time, you can be effective without doing that.
0: I don't think you meant this uh, when you said, but I just want the clarification when you, you were talking about using the same hand that you caress them with, you know, as opposed to uh, uh, hitting them in the face. Yeah. I don't think you're implying that that would ever be okay, or are, is there a time in
1: which... <laughs> no. <laughs> Is, is it ever okay to hit your child in the face? Okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that the sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's good. We can clarify that. Thank you for bringing that up. i did. Because I was thinking the same thing. We never slap your kids. <laughs> Correct. That was my point. You don't use the same hand, meaning you don't do that, and then use that same hand to caress them. But I see where that could have sounded wrong. <laughs> yeah. Don't use the same hand to, to slap them as you do caress them, so just use the other hand to caress them. This hand to slap. No. Remove that from the recording. That's not... <laughs> well, that's, hope that doesn't show up on social media. Dr. Jones promotes slapping with one hand and caressing with the other. <laughs> All right, so it is your purpose. You have to know your purpose. Everything is a purpose. You have to know your purpose for punishing. It's not to vent. It's to teach, train, correct. Punish is, the Bible says that if you don't train and you don't discipline, you don't punish your child, you hate them. That's pretty hardcore, isn't it? Meaning you leave them to their own devices and they're not going to figure out the right way. They're going to go to their carnal flesh self, rather than learn the ways of God. It's our job to teach them the ways of the Lord. All right. And so put scripture in the children. I went over that, but however, that's line item nine, but I'm going to give you a couple more verses. Isaiah 54, 13 and 14. All of your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. So if you teach them, it produces peace. Teach them in the Lord, it'll produce peace in their life. <clears throat> like Brittany said, even if they go off in a rebellious for a short time, the Bible says they will come back. Don't be weary, don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, you shall reap if you faint not. There's that season thing again. In righteousness, you shall be established. So you, that's how you establish someone, in righteousness. You shall be far from oppression, if you'll teach them that, they won't learn to be oppressed and won't get into something that oppresses their life. And if it does oppress them, it's short term. For you shall not fear and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Proverbs six twenty through 22. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother notice the difference father commandment mother teaching however if you if you have a personality and you're a father that does the more command approach make sure you abide by ephesians that i read earlier that says it's gentle you can command and gentle and be gentle and that sounds something like you're going to do that that's gentle but they get that message right it's direct you stop you look you're going to do this that's a command, but it's gentle, so it's not mean. You can get as much done without being mean as you can mean. In fact, that's mother or father, either one. It's not just all times the men that are mean. I've had, I've had, some, I've had some women in my office that were pure d mean and so it can be either one. <laughs> Forsake not the teaching of your mother, Typically, you know, in this society, the majority of the time the women, the mothers are at home during the day with the children, fathers are working, but it could be different, it could be different depending on your scenario. But teach them, give them their command your commands, teach them in the ways of the Lord rather than vent something, some rage that's in you. And bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. We're talking about. Commandments, but we're also talking about commandments of the Lord. Commandments of the Father, but commandments meaning the Word of God, your Heavenly Father as well. <clears throat> now, let me, let me talk to you about this uh, briefly. Um, all right. Um, single parents. Let's talk about that for a moment. Single parents. Uh, we have a 501c3 nonprofit organization that we raise money for. And it's called the Liberty Foundation. And we raise money and to provide supplemental counseling and sometimes free counseling if they're absolutely destitute. We confirm that that's true. We give them free counseling, seminars, ministry, CDs, prayer uh, for single parents with children that find themselves in a destitute or, or unplanned scenario and they need help and they can't afford it. Then we'll, we'll come in and determine us and establish a sliding scale fee or no fee, depending on their scenario. We won't do it forever because we have to spread it out into all the candidates for but I wanted you to know that we do have that program. And the reason I set that program up and established that 501c3 for donations to come in, tax deductible donations that come into that ministry is because I understood the plight of a single parent mother, as I told you earlier and watching how uh, mom had to create income and survive and raise two boys primarily. Later on in years, we were around dad a whole lot more. Earlier years, uh, mom, but even during our our elementary, middle school, and high school years, uh, mom, we were uh, with mom Monday through Friday, and then with dad Saturday and Sunday, most of the time it would be that way. And so... We understand the plight of a single-parent mother. And so we, knowing that, our a single-parent father, there's less of the single-parent fathers that need monetary help because they work. But, as you know, daycare is very expensive, so sometimes they need help as well. Also, they are wounded as well, whether it be a single-parent mother or a single-parent father. And so we help them get through the wounds and disappointments and traumas. It might be that extensive of a wound beat where it's at the level of a trauma uh, and we help them minister to them pray to them get into a better place in life and even give them life plans and directions so that they can get through their wounded time stabilize maximize their potential in life so I wanted to bring that up to you as well so that if any of you need help or you know somebody who does what you can do is call our office and you tell them about the situation you explain to my receptionist that you were here at this seminar and that you want to talk to someone about uh, a candidate for help, a single parent, single parent, mother or father. And typically what they'll do is they'll give that message either to uh, my daughter, Brittany, or operations manager, Verlin, and they will, so you ask for one of those, Brittany or Verlin, and then they'll talk to you, they'll get the information, have you fill out an application, and then we'll go from there to assess what kind of help we can provide. All right, uh, questions so far about anything that we've said? Yes? Um, can
3: we just talk a little bit about some different types of punishment? Because, um, Like you talked about responding to your child um, based on their personality looking at what is what is their currency, what is it that really
1: works for them. Good way to say it. Um, because I know we have three daughters, and
3: um, one of which I could never um, spank. That would just cause her too much anxiety. And uh, another one who loves physical touch, it wouldn't bother her at
1: all. Correct. Right. That's a good example, very good example. So for the recording, she's saying she had one child she never could spank because it affected her emotionally. Yeah too much, something like that. It, Her nervous system was built differently, and then another one, it didn't affect her that way if you if you used spanking. Okay, go ahead. Um, and just
3: also that, you know, for, for myself, um, I grew up in a home where um, I was spanked, and I was intimidated by the use of a belt, and that was really traumatic for yep. me. And so for me personally, as a parent, I cannot do that. Um, so I try to find alternative ways Um, either it's removing something from the child or a timeout. um,
1: Or doing something. Right. Doing something they dislike a lot.
3: So I know we were kind of all just kind of chuckling about the belt, but for me that that was actually, I did not find that funny at all. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's okay. That's why you have to understand what works for your children. So... Other ideas so if you have an analytical child that likes computers and they like to do research and then there's a violation then and remember what I said teach them in advance that this we'll call it a violation is going to result in this and it'd be better if you pre-planned it that would be better that way you're not deciding impulsively in the moment because what could happen is you could go extreme if you're upset and you have stressors, you're paying bills or wh- whatever it might be, and then then there's a violation, and then you decide what the punishment's going to be right there in the moment, the punishment's probably going to be more extreme than if you backed off of it and thought about it, and it also might not be on point, and it might be extreme. Like, for example, uh, they spill their milk, simple example, and a, a parent's already on edge, on you know on the verge of exploding they spill their milk and the parent says you're not going to drink milk for the next year <laughs> right that was a in the moment impulsive implementation and then if the parent has the wrong belief that they once they say something they can't change their mind some parents believe they can't change their mind and if they say But once I say it, I'm not changing my mind because my work, you know, if they go there with it, it's kind of prideful. Uh, Then they can't let their children drink a glass of milk for a year. You see how extreme that is? So don't also go to the pride side of it. Like once I say something, you know, I have to do it. No, if you say something like Brittany said earlier and you realize it was too extreme, think about it, pray about it, and then come back and say, that was too extreme. I was upset. I apologize for that. Here is the punishment. And let's talk about what it's going to be every time you do that, anytime you do that. And for example, the milk example would be if they're old, depending on their age, if they spill something, what's the punishment? It's not ranting and yelling and you'll never touch a cup again. It's okay, get down from the table, get that wet rag over there. You wipe it up. I'm not wiping that up for you while you watch me, you know. You wipe that up. You clean up. You dry the floor and then put it back up. And then you give them instruction about how the milk was spilled. But you don't go, you're never going to drink milk again. That's one. And then if they like computers, we we'll would be removing of computer time. Because for some people that are especially research and they like to get into that and they're not as much of a people person, you take computer away. Or that that's like the worst thing, or the social person, like Brittany was saying earlier, you take their socializing away, and that's, uh, or makeup, certain makeup they like, right that That's rough for them as well, right? But it doesn't hurt them, but you know uh, And then let's see, or uh, what I tell you what we don't, we never used as punishment, however. And that is, again, we never used the Bible as punishment, but also we did not remove church or remove youth group or youth camp or anything that cultivated them spiritually. We never took that away as punishment. Never did. Why? Well, because you're hurting them spiritually. You can choose some other event, you know, like something, if they go to school and it's really they want to go, but if if they don't go, you know, they're not gonna be hurt spiritually if they don't, you know, go to this social event at school or something like that. But we never use church and the Bible or anything that was ministry oriented as punishment as well. Yeah. And time out, sure. Some people that go sit in a corner is just like the worst thing for them uh, in the whole world because they wanna know what's going on out there and to be isolated over there. So it depends on whatever works effectively. For your child, yeah, computer, phone, uh, also, you know, any treats, things, you know, whatever it would be, ice cream or something like that. You just remove all those those types of things. You know, their life is not going to be damaged, you know, if you don't do those things for them. But remember, explain to them what you're doing. This is why I'm doing it, and this is what the result is. And then also, and uh, get your, the other thing we always did was after, after a punishment, we always prayed with them and asked the Lord to help them in that area, which trains them to do that for themselves when you're not with them.
5: So, again, on the same lines of the punishment, um, do you find yourself conflicted, or at least I
1: do? You find yourself what?
5: Conflicted. Because conflicted. Younger sister. The younger sister needs something, some alone time. She gets upset because she's not getting her way, I'm not helping her, or whatever. She gets upset. She will start to throw a tantrum. She gets so upset. The only thing that will help me calm down is cuddles. I need mean, mommy cuddles. And part of me feels like this is a manipulation and I shouldn't punish by taking away. Like, I feel like I shouldn't punish her by taking away physical touch and love. But then I also, part of me feels like she's manipulating me. Um, She is genuinely upset and she's a very sensitive child. We know that she needs a lot of kind of coddling in some of these ways. But what are your thoughts on, you know, saying no, you're not going to get touch. Right now, I told you I'm with your sister and this is, you have to go do, you know, or do I drop things because she's so upset? like, is this? I feel like I'm keeping
1: physical touch away as a punishment sometimes. So my opinion of that is that if you know you have a child that is emotionally sensitive like that in their nervous system, so to speak, they do need, and they're also their personality, they need more affection, they need more hugs, they need more comfort, and they're saying to you, and they're authentically upset, and then they say, "I just however they word it, I need mommy hugs." Well, then hug them, because hugging them can't spoil them. Love can't spoil. love, love can't hurt them. And manipulation would be more if you know they're not built that way, and they say, "Oh, I, you know, I just need your hug and you look and you know that they really don't, and that's not the way their nervous system is set up. Yeah. I mean she
5: knows she's also
1: playing on mommy well, Remember, hungry. it's okay though if you keep your punishment in place. Manipulation would be if you hugged her and changed her, and she was successful because of the hugs in getting you to change your mind about the punishment for something she did or didn't do. Mm-hmm. That's manipulation. Manipulation, it's okay, you're not gonna hurt her. Even if let's say that even certain percentage of her motive being smart, high IQ was to manipulate you. Um How is giving her a hug, giving her a hug hug still has no harm, doesn't change the punishment, it just gives her another hug. And so that's what I would say about that. Now, it would be extreme if she kept requiring a hug from you because she was jealous over the time you're spending with the other child, right? But even if that were true, one hug Two seconds. Okay, sweetheart, I'll give you a hug. Good. Now Jesus is helping you. And then I'm gonna go and <laughs> then I gotta go and talk to the other, you know. Now and then you could say, I'm gonna go and be with your sister, I've gotta help her, but I gave you a hug. If you need another one, I'll come and give you another one after I finish. Then that's how you you can treat that. You're giving her hugs. And then if it's really not a hug she wants and you do it that way, then she'll realize that she can't control you emotionally that way. But hugging can't hurt her is the premise there. Yes, sir. I was
0: going to say, does that uh, between, like, if there's two kids there, will one feel like maybe the other child gets favoritism?
1: That that, that gets said most of the time in a household. Even if it's not favoritism, that gets, that gets claimed. You like her more, you don't punish her as much, you don't punish him or her the same way. That, is going to that's normal to hear that and then uh, further though your question about that was
0: oh, just in general, just going off of what she was talking about like if you have like our middle daughter likes to hug hug hug, hug okay middle daughter likes to like hug our oldest daughter is
1: like no nah, I don't want to hug don't hug. want to hug all right
0: so then the older daughter could think that the middle daughter gets more attention
1: gets more attention the way you do that, if the older daughter in his scenario would say, you're giving her more attention, more hugs than you, you give me, then what you would do is you go to the oldest daughter and say, okay, good, I will hug you just as much. If I hug her five times, I'm going to do that with you. Of course, they're going to say, no, never mind. I it over. We'll use another method. We'll use another method to be fair. That's kind of how you, you know, do that. And again, that can't hurt them. You know, if you did hug them. But some personalities, well, you're right, they don't really require, maybe not even like that kind of affection. Yeah. Yes? I just want to make a
6: comment that um, as we speak about finding out the personality of our children, I think it's also um, a helpful thing to find out
1: our own personality as parents. Absolutely. Know your own personality type. I feel like
6: it depends on the personality. My husband can be more effective one of our boys
1: and Correct. more effective with the other Very good point. And, um, I'm and that's kinda normal what you just there, said. That I'm
6: I refuse to um, hit my kids or spank my kids. Mm-hmm. When I grew up my parents were not around that much and um, I was hit by my relatives and in my culture they believed that was a good way
0: to teach a child. Mm-hmm. I just think
1: it's a complete... Yeah, in other cultures, they believe that slapping in the face is good, but go ahead. Yeah, I just think that it's a complete
6: meanness to hit somebody who cannot hit you back. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe in violence. I don't believe in hitting or spanking. And sometimes I really think that as parents, sometimes we just run out of our wits. We don't know what to do to punish our children. Correct. And many times we find ourselves in the place where we say, okay, we, you sit down and you name your own punishment, you know, because we don't really know what to do anymore. But over time, prayers and with the help of God, I believe that it works out when we really, truly love them from the day they were born. And um, the personality Absolutely. thing that sometimes I feel like I cannot get through with this one and I go and talk to my husband and say, now you go talk to him. And it's just like miracles. Two minutes later, he emerged from the room. Okay, it's all said and done. <laughs> you know, and then with the other one, then I have to personally sit down with him. And he's more cuddling and all that.
1: And it will be good. So that's my comment. Thank you. And different personalities of the parent, it is wise to know that as well. You'll have a parent that's more direct and then a, the other the other parent... Is more uh, explanatory one parent can go in no we're gonna do this instead good conversation you know we're through another parent with a different personality can come in and go through all of the details of it and a long explanation the other parent it's not it's less natural for them to go into long explanations so it is better so for example if you have a parent that doesn't go into long explanations and they're more direct and it's more brief but you have a child that they need the long explanation then the parent that doesn't do long explanations needs to modify what they're doing because their purpose is to train and do more long explanations if the child needs it makes sense and if you're a single parent and if you're a single parent and a particular question about that about are you on the correcting punishing side okay. uh, how one is different than the other and so as a single parent you have to learn both that's correct as a single parent which you are, uh, yes, you have to learn your personality style or type and then the style or type, personality type of your children so you can approach them the way they can listen and the way they can hear. So my oldest is more direct. Brittany mentioned that earlier. So she doesn't like for me to build up to and give all the whys and, and, and the reasons. She doesn't like that. In fact, I lose her. She starts thinking about something else if I do that with her. So that's ineffective. So what I do with her is I do go more direct. Here's what's wrong. Tell me what it is. Here's how we're going to fix it. Don't do this anymore. Do this instead. Are we in agreement? Yes, we are. Tell me what I said. Blah, 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 blah. Good. I love you. Pray with her. Conversation over. That's her style. She loves that. We have another another daughter who's more analytical. And so she likes to talk about the point, the reasons for it, uh, the logic around it, and that's her style. So we do that more with her. And then we have ones in between. Yeah, like Brittany's a combination. She likes like to the point, but also she likes explanations both. Yes.
4: Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You... Just uh,
1: wanted to uh, pick up on the point my wife made and, and ask you for your perspective on that. So there are times where we would ask our children to choose their their, their punishment. Uh, and we usually follow up with
5: why is that, why do you think that's appropriate? Mm-hmm. Going back to, you know, is it meaningful enough uh, to them? Uh, i like to get your views on that. Is there any benefit or any downsides to doing that or any specific thing we should Maybe watch out for
1: well, you know <laughs> Teresa and I did that periodically in more complicated situations. Um, we would set them down we'd be talking about something that needs to be corrected and we would say well, you tell us what's because pr- they would say to us well that's that punishment is not you know appropriate for this They would say that when they got older and our answer would be okay, good. are we both in agreement that this shouldn't have happened yes okay you tell me, what we should do about it if we're not thinking right. Now they're in a place to where they might say, uh, for this number level eight thing I did, I just want a one or two punishment. I, I'll sweep the floor. It takes me 30 seconds in the kitchen, right? Yeah. Um, so if it was... A level two punishment but the offense was a level eight we wouldn't take that advice we would say you're gonna have to come up with a level six seven or eight here now sometimes actually they would they would say okay well this probably deserves this and them giving us feedback made them accept it better helped helped them accept that punishment better so it does work some of the time not all the time especially if they downscale it right And if they magnify everybody else's sins and minimize theirs, right, then you'll know the difference and then you just talk to them from that perspective. Works some of the time, depending on the scenario. Yeah. Yes. So when you go to the prayer part after the the discipline, is there like an appropriate time to pray? Because I don't want them to associate the prayer with the discipline, like as part of their punishment type thing. So, of course, if they're just handing out their punishment, just right away go to prayer or you kind of let them? No, you let them calm down because when they're all upset, if they're upset, some of them aren't upset after the punishment, depending on their personality, <laughs> right? Uh, you wait till they calm down because nobody, even adults or children, uh, can hear and process while they're emotionally upset. So you wait till it calms down. Nobody learns while they're upset. Wait till it calms down, then you come back around and say, the purpose for the prayer. So, they don't misassociate prayer with punishment. You come back in and say, Now we're gonna have a prayer, so the Lord will help you with that, and you can improve in this area of your life. So, you explain to them the purpose for prayer, and that way they don't misappropriate it. And then sometimes it wasn't a punishment necessarily, it was a verbal correction and a talk. And then, if they're not upset, Emotionally, where it would be a distraction, then you pray with them immediately afterwards, after the talk. Like, okay, let's pray so the Lord will help you with this. And also, so the Lord will uh, lead you and give you wisdom in this next time. Now, <clears throat> oh, incidentally, reminds me of something funny. <clears throat> this, and you, this might be helpful. Um, Teresa and I were at the house one day, and Brittany was driving our Suburban. We've laughed about this so much. Driving our Suburban. <clears throat> At school and when she came home she came in and said uh dad I scratched your mirror on the Suburban you might want to go look at it and I thought well okay a scratch you know not that big of a deal <laughs> we walked out there and the mirror was hanging by one piece of wire <laughs> like that <laughs> and it was scratching the paint as it was you know and I, and we said that mirror's hanging off the, it's not a scratch here. Maybe she was meaning the mirror's scratching the paint. Maybe that's what she meant. But uh, what was actually the truth about that was she said, well, there was a sign sticking out in the road on Stone Oak Parkway. And I thought, a sign sticking way out in the road? Well, I actually got in my car and drove over there, and there was a sign, uh, it was, a, it was a mobile construction sign, you know, with sandbags around it. And, and the workers left it partially. It was probably a third out into that lane. And then, uh, then my question was, well, why didn't she look at that and compensate for that and not hit it anyway? Well, uh, the research shows, and you'll be interested in this, research shows, uh, is it 20 or 22, somewhere in there, that, that if especially females their depth perception is not developed until age 22. So that was why it would be harder for females to anticipate that and see how far it is out in the road. Yeah. So if your mirror gets knocked off and they're under 22, that's probably why, right? <laughs> My other daughter other came home and her fender was bashed in in her truck and it was that depth perception thing again she saw the pole she said she saw it yeah i looked in the mirror and saw it there but i just misjudged it depth perception that's right y'all are probably going to call it more than depth perception when you leave the,
4: <laughs> the church.
1: yeah all right uh, any other questions Yes, sir.
0: Is,
5: am I being wrong by using my culture as well as a chain reaction when it comes down to the belt? Or should I change my ways and say, for example, when I'm on timeouts, which normally
1: doesn't work? So there is there is a legitimacy to cultures and ways that certain cultures are taught and brought up. Yeah. <clears throat> um, So the answer to that actually is don't just repeat a culture or a way that your mother and father did it because that's the way you grew up and just say, well, I grew up that way and I didn't turn out to be a murderer, so it's all right for me to do it, you know, go extreme, you know, in your comparison with it. Do what's most effective and do what's most effective for the personalities of your children. That's the answer. That's the answer. So, if you can do something else and it works, that's beautiful. That's great. Prayer, explanations, training—most important. Yes. Is there a
0: proper way? I mean, I know we're talking about spanking, but there was a protocol when we were spanked when we were little that we followed. But is there a proper way for spanking? What does that sort of look like? I kind of
1: explained that earlier. You don't do that for everything, Right. and you explain to them that it's. Uh it's a, if if you explain in advance, if here are categories of offenses, and these categories of offenses have this elevation of punishment to it, uh, most likely, I mean, you may never have to. You may never have to do it. So, you know, it's not like spanking is, mandatory, but if you do it, it should be never impulsive, never out of anger, never out of rage, You explain to them that it's not a hit. It's different. And um, people in, in life are going to punish their children differently. Everybody will, uh, which is their, you know, right to parent. However, <clears throat> if it traumatizes your children, affects their self-worth, affects their self-image, makes them scared of you, not respect, but scared of you, then you need to do something different. Kind of see it that way.
7: Yes? So I have a question. So, so I have a, I, my family is very close
1: in the sense that we see each other often family very close you see each other often we're very
7: um interdependent so there's a lot of uh, like dinners at everybody's
1: houses dinners at like everyone's that. houses
7: so i so my daughter is the only granddaughter and so we're we're having this issue where i'm the mom but i feel like my parents so her grandparents challenge me as a parent in the sense that they don't, they may not agree with something or what have you, and then want to, or have a tendency to kind of circumvent me, and I and I, that keep, happens. I can see that, but how do I address that then with my daughter? So separately and apart from my daughter, I've kind of had these conversations with my parents, like I understand that you are my parent, but I am her parent, so we're working on that issue separately. Mm-hmm. But how do I then address that with my daughter? Like I'm, I'm your mom, so I need Correct. you to listen to me. Correct. And then the feedback is, well, you know, well, but grandma and grandpa say this. So how do Correct. I? Correct.
1: It confuses that? them. Correct. Well, <clears throat> the general policy that works more effectively there is this: when they're with you, they abide by your principles, your training. When they're away from you, they should abide by your training as well. Mm-hmm. The exception of that would be if they're with grandparents and you're not there, then pretty much the grandparents take over in that moment with their training and don't do this, do that, you can't do this <clears throat> in reason. But when both are present, yes, the mother or fa- and or father are the ones that should take the lead, and the grandparents should, are secondary. The only exception to that would be if both of you are present, and let's say one of the grandparents steps outside and the grandchild is near the street or something that is imminent danger, then they don't wait to ask you, they stop the imminent danger. Right. But if it's just everyday training or something of that nature, then they should acquiesce to you, secretary. Now, how you deal with that afterwards is you tell your child, listen, sweetheart, if I tell you something, I'm your mother, I want you to listen to that. But if, you're, if you're, your parents are saying something that's really not contrary to what you would say, you don't have to correct it. It would be then considered just a reinforcement of what you say. But if it's different, right. like totally different, <clears throat> then what you do is have a talk, you have, you have a talk with them, uh, not, you know, not drama in front of everybody. You have a, you have a talk with your parents and say, I'm just going to respectfully ask you that if I tell her she can't do that, please don't confuse her by interrupting me or trying to override me. I love you all, respect you. I know you love her, however, if you wouldn't let me take the lead in this. And that conversation would be typically respected, unless y'all have some other unresolved issues and that statement brings something else up you haven't dealt with. Make sense what I said right there? <clears throat> Brittany's real good at that. She is. She'll say, uh, let, me, you know, let me talk to her. And we do that. So she's good at it. You can talk to your parents like that and be respectful. Most of the time they'll listen. Like I said, unless there's some other issue involved there, which sometimes there is. Any other questions? While you have one, while, while you've got us here, let's open it up. <clears throat> so let me tell you, yes, sir. Correction, but the other doesn't agree
7: with how it's being corrected. Okay. How do we handle that situation so we don't cause too much confusion?
1: Okay. <clears throat> if one parent is already making correction and talking to their children, uh, the other parent, don't correct that one in front of your children and intervene. The exception to that rule is abuse. The exception is abuse. If one parent is going too far and they're, they're going too aggressive and too far or name-calling or they're going to attack or they're in, and then it is in the assault category, <clears throat> then you can stop it. Now, you don't have to have a big, long discussion. There's ways that you can subtly do it. And furthermore, I would have conversations in advance, principally, in principle, about that issue before you ever get into that situation. For example, if you have one parent who has a propensity to go too far with it and escalate emotionally, after that calms down, the other spouse should say, okay, you know, you have a tendency to go too far with this and escalate emotionally. So I'm actually not talking about the content of what you're saying in your correction. I'm talking about your approach. So if you go above a level eight, I am going to intervene. I just want you to know that, that kind of a thing. Now, sometimes that doesn't work, which means y'all are gonna have to get in front of somebody that can help you. You know, if that's the case, you or whomever else we're talking about. So the exception is abuse. <clears throat> Furthermore, I talk to children that become adults now all of the time, and um, they, if they are subjected to aggression, assault, abuse. A lot of drama, conflict in the home. Remember I taught you earlier that they'll take that on. That's a phenomenon called trauma bonding. They'll do it it also. You want to do your best to not subject them to that. And if you have one parent that keeps doing it under the auspices of, I'm the parent, I can do whatever I want to, you don't tell me what to do, that kind of thing. But if they go into the abuse category, then you need to do whatever it takes to stop that. Talks. Prayers, and if that doesn't work, you have to take it up another notch, whatever that requires. I've even had couples come to me, and you know, one of them has been assaulted repeatedly. It wasn't just a one-time accident or whatever; it's repeated assaults. And then so there, that there's different protocol for repeated assaults. Could be be uh, police reports, exposure. Uh, there's got to be some seriousness and teeth in true abuse and assaults behind closed doors anyone else yes
0: you mentioned earlier that a lot of like when you're disciplining your kids sometimes your own personal woundedness can come out
1: right your own personal problems come out Uh you're venting on your kids venting on your children Correct. How do you
0: communicate that to the child so that they understand that, you know, the issues that you're dealing with in a way that, that helps them understand that you're in process just like they're, you're trying to
1: teach them? You can say that to them, depending on their age appropriate comprehension. <clears throat> say almost just that and come back in and do what Brittany said. If you know you went too far, or escalated emotionally, or too, you know, upset when you're t- talking to them. When you get calmed down, you come right back around. And you say, I shouldn't have said it that way. I ask for your forgiveness. I apologize. I'm going to work on that. You know, I grew up where I, you know, went to emotionally, got too upset, and I'm working on that. I apologize. I'm going to try not to do that anymore. However, the topic we were on and the content of what I was saying, sweetheart, still remains true and accurate. What I was, the what is the content, the approach. Is how you do it and to what intensity. Then what you can say to them is, what I was trying to say to you was this, so that is still, I still want you to hear that message, and I want you to correct this, but the way I approached you, that was too intense. I'm going to try to change that. So you differentiate when you're training them between your approach and your content rather than them voiding out the content because your approach was too extreme. Makes sense? And then they appreciate you saying that, actually. They won't condemn you for it. They actually respect you more when you do that. Yes? Okay, um, so a discipline, is it okay if one parent is usually more of the discipliner than the other? It's normal. <laughs> it's normal. So it's not like a conflicting thing. It's not a conflicting thing. Okay. It's, it's, it's totally normal. Most in most homes, uh, you have one parent who's, yeah, more of a disciplinary, more strict, more, more uh, engaging with it, and then the other one that's not as. You have one much more active, one more passive. That's just difference in personality types. So y'all don't have to have fights over the fact that y'all have differences in personality types. You just agree on the content, but your approaches are going to be different, and that's normal. If they're different, that's normal. That's just probably one of the reasons you married each other because you appreciated something that was different in them about you, and then later on fight over it. <laughs> right? I used to like you because you were passive, and now I'm mad at you because you're <laughs> passive because you didn't get as mad at the child as I did. Basically, that's what you're saying, right? <laughs> so it's okay to have different personalities. Don't fight because you have different approaches. If you get more upset at your child than your spouse, don't get mad at your spouse because they didn't get as upset at you as you did. Now, the exception to that rule is if, the, if, the, if there's imminent danger or something real serious and the spouse does nothing, well, then that would need to be improved. I don't, when I say the word passive, I don't mean somebody that's disengaged and not involved. I just meant their approach and their style of involvement is different, and that's normal. Make sense what I just said right there? Any other question? It's 146. We're doing pretty good. We're about to, in a minute, go get the children. Let me give you some instruction on how to do that. This is a good practice session of what you want to do at home. Make physical contact. Brian, thank you for saying that. Physical contact shows affection. It shows acceptance. Furthermore, if you look in the Bible from the perspective of a blessing, laying your hand on your child when you pray is a form of a blessing. You see that throughout the Bible. Jesus said when the children came to him, he blessed them. The prophets all through the Old Testament, they laid their hands and blessed there's a ceremony in the Jewish community, not Reformed Jews, but um, practicing. They had a ceremony every Friday night where they prayed a blessing. The fathers prayed a blessing over the children. And I was at a, um, con- I was at a convention, uh, went over to talk to some businessmen about licensing, something I developed, and I was in Virginia. And... Um, We got in the car, one, two, three, four. There was four of us in the car. And I'm going to tell you, those men, they were pretty rough, you know, with their mouths, their language, and and so on. And that's the way they lived. I'll tell you something fascinating. I was in the back seat. We were going to the convention. Mm -hmm. And the man driving was a Jewish man. And right in the middle of these other guys cussing and telling jokes and This Jewish man's phone rang, and it was his son. He started talking to his son, and at the end of the conversation, he started doing something that I could tell was something that, was, uh, that, they, that they did regularly. He actually started saying a blessing over his son out loud in the midst of these other people. <clears throat> and these other people calmed down and listened. They respected it while this Jewish man said a verbal blessing over his son, I could tell it was something they did all of the time. And after, they got, after he got through the blessing, he said he loved him, and they hung up. And I said, that's the way it ought to be right there, right? How do you feel when somebody prays a blessing over you? You feel like you're blessed. You feel like you're, you feel better about yourself. Your self-esteem goes up. You feel like... You're more capable, you're more loved, you're more accepted by God or others, right? It's like pronouncing knighthood on you or something, right? A blessing. Well, that's how children feel. So even if you're comfortable or not, when we bring your children in, we're going to position you to where you put your hand on them, put your hand on their head, and I'll lead you through a prayer of blessing over them. And you can use that if that's not... If that's not your normal way at your home, it'll be a good start for you and it'll be a good model for you to do that. Pray a blessing over them. I remember we would be at some event and Brittany and the children would be off running around playing. At nighttime, before they'd go to their bunks at some camp or something, they would all come in I remember one time we were in a cafeteria. Teresa and I were standing there. And they came running in before they started getting ready to go to bed. And they walked up and bowed their head. And they said, hurry up and pray a blessing over us. We've got to go get ready to go to bed. It was normal. And you pray a blessing over them. And it was something like, Father, I pray your blessings over my children. They would prosper. No weapon formed against them. So prosper. And the wicked one does not touch them. They would serve you all the days of their life in Jesus Christ's name—that kind of a blessing—and we're going to lead that, lead you in that blessing, and I want you to make that a normal, a normal pattern in your life. So, Pastor, um, do you want to line the children up along the front? Is that what you want? Yeah. And have the parents go and stand in front of them. Yeah, children good. up here, and will face you. Are we ready to do that? Sure. So you want to bring them up and children just stand facing your parents right up front in a line. So go right down there. Thank you. Excellent. Wonderful. Just stand right there. Come right on. Just like they're doing in a line. Excellent. All the way across here. This way. Move up. Move up. Move up. Come right over here. Move up. There we go. Turn around face then. There we go. Don't come up on the, come down.
0: Ah, There we
1: go. Come down. Get in a line. Spread out. Spread out. Okay. Stand right in front of them. Mm -hmm. Make room. Come over here. You can come over here. We'll use all the room we have. Go and stand in front of your children. And when you're in place, I'll lead you in a prayer. And when you say your blessing over your children, face them, if you would, so that they can experience that direct contact and hear what you're saying and hear your voice. And you can get down on their level. You can put them on the platform and, or kneel down in front of them where you can get on their level, if you would, where they can see you. All right, put your hand on their forehead, please. Mhm. hand on their forehead alright out loud repeat after me if you would please and if you don't have children here but you have children elsewhere pray for them say their names and pray for them while we're praying on, in the front alright repeat after me please Father in the name of Jesus Christ I pray over my child and my children I pray Your blessing, I pronounce your blessings upon their life as their spiritual authority on this earth. I pray that they have the mind of Christ. The wicked one does not touch them, and whatsoever they do shall prosper. They know you, they serve you, I pray. All the days of their life. That they will be obedient to you, Lord. And to your word. And honor their father and mother. So that it may be well with them. I pray, Lord, that you would keep them well. That your angels would watch over them. And bear them up in their hands. Lest they dash their foot against a stone. I pray your peace upon their life, your joy, and I pray, Lord, that they would walk in your wisdom and have a relationship with others that bring blessing to their life and does not bring curse. I release your blessings now upon my children. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Wasn't that good? Praise the Lord. And let me say, if I could, before we dismiss, let me say a blessing over all of the attendees, please, and their family. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray that you would protect, anoint, every person in this room and their families to walk with you, to know you, to serve you, and to influence other people's lives for Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bless this church congregation, the leadership, this ministry. May they fulfill your divine will and purpose in their lifetime. I pray that every person in this room and their family would prosper, would stay in health. We declare that the wicked one does not touch them And that you would anoint them and enable and empower them to take what they've learned today and improve their lives and bring their family closer together with each other and with you. Give their parents wisdom, we pray, to train their children in your ways. In Jesus Christ's name, we thank you and praise you for it. Amen.